Hey guys, Jared here. So you guys are going to notice there are some things that are going to be a little off with this episode and there's an explanation for that. Uh, so basically what happened was uh, Eric Froton and I, who is a guest on this episode, included a segment at the start of the show that we decided after we finished recording that it would work better as its own video that we would release exclusively onto the YouTube channel. The uh, reason why we did this really is because it stands alone on its own, but also uh, without it, this show is already two hours long. We had a lot of great discussion, uh, and with it, the show would be almost three hours long. And as much as I love bringing y'all tons of content, uh, that's a lot for one show, and I don't want to dump all of that on you guys at once. Uh, so you'll see some things in here that may seem off with the show, little edits here and there, whether it be sound, video, uh, just to try to remove some mentions of that segment, try not to spoil anything for it. Uh, if you're watching the video product, uh, you'll see around the three and a half, four minute mark, you'll see that I pixelated the video product so that you don't see any of the graphic or anything like that. So nothing like that gets spoiled, stuff like that. Uh, it was an awesome segment, so please be on the lookout at, uh, for it later this week. Like I said, it'll be a YouTube exclusive video. Uh, so just thank you guys for understanding and please enjoy this episode of Chasing the Natty. Coming up on Chasing the Natty, happy Halloween everybody! Um, we got a special guest on today, Mr. Eric Froton from NBC Sports Edge. We got a lot to talk about going forward. We have plenty of waiver wire pickups for you in every position. In addition, we have so many games to talk about from this past weekend. All that and more coming right up. to the end zone. Oh, what a catch! Devontae Smith, touchdown Alabama! Watch out for Mr. Robinson. This kid is going to be special and is already flashing. This is Chasing the Natty, a college football fantasy podcast. All right, welcome in. This is Jared Palmgren, host of the Chasing the Natty podcast, a CFF podcast. Hope you all are having a wonderful night. Happy Halloween to everybody. We got a wonderful show ahead for you guys. We got Mr. Eric Froton from NBC Sports Edge on with us today. He is here to liven up the mood while Xavier is out taking care of some things. And like I said before, we got so much to talk about. We got waiver wire pickups for you guys this week. Even this late into the season, there are plenty of guys out there for you to take your shots on, improve your teams going into these final weeks as playoffs come up. In addition to that, as always, make sure you are subscribed to us on YouTube, following us there. Make sure you're leaving comments down below, any thoughts that you have, whether it be the fact that, Jared, your Woody costume looks like it was uh, thrown together off of Amazon products, or, uh, sir, your wave wire pickups for this week were great or garbage. We want to hear it all, y'all. Love those engagements with y'all down below. In addition to that, make sure you're following us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Uh, on the Apple Podcasts, make sure you're leaving those five-star reviews. We love reading those. And then, main place you can reach us, as, as always, on Twitter. I am at CFF underscore Jared. My co-host who is not here today, Mr. Xavier Hood. He is at CFF underscore Xavier. And the Twitter account for the person across from me today, Mr. Eric Froton is at CF Froton. But Mr. Froton, why don't you introduce yourself? Let us know what you're working on, where we can find you at. Yes, I'm Eric Froton, of course, from NBC Sports Edge. As you dutifully reported 
my friend Woody over there from Toy Story. Well done, Jared. Thank you. And uh, yeah, gosh, in terms of what I do, anything college fantasy football related pretty much, as well as I've been on a heater with the uh, college football props, DraftKings, FanDuel, I put that out every uh, Friday afternoon when the lines come out around 1 p.m. I usually try to have it out within two hours. And uh, I've been 16-3 over my past three weeks and 73.5% over Incredible. this entire season and 71% over uh, the past two seasons spanning about 26 weeks. So, yes, uh, 20 years of college fantasy football experience. I have done just about everything. I've encountered every pitfall that you can have in this sort of a medium. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I'm here to talk about some things that you could do to maybe spice up your league and, and make sure that it's uh, it's in line since college fantasy football is not NFL football. Everybody it is has not. To remember that. It is not indeed. And again, we appreciate Eric coming on. Um, Xavier, unfortunately, could not join us tonight. He has some things to take care of. Eric was able to join us last minute. So we got a lot of fun stuff. And basically, if I don't get started now, we're going to be here for two hours because we got so much to talk about. So, Eric, appreciate you bringing all these up for ways for people to improve their CFF leagues. I hope people jot down a couple of things that they might want to try with their leagues next year. Um, with that being said, let's move on to our Week 9 show, effectively. And we're going to first talk about our waiver wire candidates, as we always do, and then we'll get to those game recaps later on. So, first things first... Uh, like I said, we're hitting our waiver wires. We'll start with our quarterbacks for the week. Uh, it's not the first guy I wanted to do. There we go. Now I got my guy up there. Um, just a reminder, everybody, the rule is for our um, for our waiver wire picks, we do anybody under 40% because we want you guys to have a legitimate shot to see these guys on the waiver wire. 50% is good, but I like 40% just to have that little extra 10% likelihood that you will find this guy on your waiver wire. And again... A lot of deeper leagues, uh, Eric and I were talking about this beforehand and everything, a lot of these guys you'll find even in some deep, deep leagues to pick up this late in the season, which is very, very nice. Even so, we'll go ahead and start out with our first quarterback of today, and that's Mr. Chase Garbers out of California. Uh, basically, the thing that we noticed with him recently is he's got some dual threat ability. He's had been on a pretty good streak lately against the Pac-12 competition. And his uh, last four weeks of the schedule, he's got games that he could go off in any time. He's got Arizona. That's pretty much a given. He'll probably go off in that game. Uh, USC, their defense has not been exactly the uh, pinnacle of success this year. Stanford, uh, God knows what you'll get with them every week. And then UCLA, same thing as pretty much Stanford. I think any of those games you can see Chase Garbers uh, go off on. Eric, what are your thoughts on Mr. Garbers here? Absolutely. In fact, I thought he was a smoking deal in DFS this past week. I had him on my uh, my Saturday morning Vespert show with Michael Bainbridge. He was, I believe, $6,100, and he was my bargain bin play at wide receiver for the late slate, where you only have eight games to kind of go with there. Mm -hmm. Loved, loved Garbers. I mean, he's been playing extremely well. I want to say he's had, a, like, four of the past five games he's had. In fact, five of the past six now. He's had at least 20 fantasy points. And that's the kind of consistency that you're looking for, especially down the board. Absolutely. You're getting late. Week, week nine, you know, is, is over. You're into week 10. You got some serious buys. I know Caleb Williams is on buy this week, and that's certainly a, a hole for a lot of players. You're going to be able to pick up Garbers at a very reasonable investment, chances mm -hmm. are, down the board. And he's going to be imminently startable. Yeah, absolutely. And really... Uh, not much else to say on Garbage there, but you were mentioning consistency, and that's the middle name of this next guy, Mr. Anthony Brown out of Oregon. 
a lot of people thought by this point in the season that Ty Thompson might have taken over that starting job for Oregon. And while Anthony Brown on film probably isn't the best quarterback we've seen this year, for fantasy purposes, he has been absolutely incredible in terms of just you know exactly what you will get every single week. Only game he has scored under 20 points this year came against Stony Brook, and that's because he only played half the game. Otherwise, he has been right in there between about 22 and 28 points the entire season. So, yep, that's pretty much my pitch for Anthony Brown there. You know exactly what you're getting out of him every single week. He'll find a way to get over 20 points, and sometimes it's exactly what you need with your lineup. So what are your thoughts, Eric? Well, Anthony Brown seems to be pretty consistent. God, watching him, I am nonplussed by his next, <laughs> you know, his ability to succeed at the next level in any way, shape, or form, you know, in all honesty. Um, but in that juggernaut Oregon offense, you see them, you know, do some pretty good game planning around the goal line. Had a couple of, uh, you know, he'll get a rushing score in there, throw, mm -hmm. run for 30 yards. My concern with him this week in particular mm -hmm. is they play in Washington. And what Washington does is they have a couple of great corners and they stop the pass pretty well. They're one of the better teams in in the FBS when it comes to that. What they do get smoked is on the ground. They get pushed around on the line. Mm -hmm. So my concern here is they're in Washington. Uh, maybe, you know, he can run the ball. I think they might have a more run-heavy approach. You saw Byron Cardwell get used a lot mm -hmm. you know, alongside Travis Dye this week. Uh, we could see a, a two-headed monster kind of there and more of the RPO scheme where they're going to run the ball. That's my only concern about him. But, I mean, you can't argue with his consistency on a week-to-week -week basis. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. And, like, you, you bring up the run game and everything, and I, I could absolutely see them having some several uh, QB design runs uh, for him this week. Because, again, if you're Washington and you're thinking about Oregon, you know you got great corners, so why not stack the box against Oregon? Maybe try to slow Travis Dye down a little bit. Well... You give them another option to check on for, like Anthony Brown, that could definitely open that up a little bit for him. Uh, we'll move on to our next guy here, and that is going to be Mr. Jackson Dart, quarterback at a USC. Thank God they finally gave him another chance after he was injured. God, he is such an upgrade over Keaton Slovis. I've never understood the hype around Keaton Slovis. Jackson Dart, quite frankly, I think is going to be one of the more exciting prospects. We, we are really out of the truth. Like, we got spoiled these past couple years with Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence. Uh, just some of these elite quarterbacks in college football. Right now, we probably have Bryce Young, maybe, like that we're kind of looking at as like these straight out of high school, ready to start immediately quarterbacks. Jackson Dart, I think, might be one of these next big guys. Came out of nowhere near the end of the recruiting cycle, just shot up the rankings, and he has proven it pretty much since day one at USC that he could start immediately for them there, and he could be the next great USC quarterback for them. Uh, got to start again this past weekend against... Um, who did they face this past weekend? I'm, I'm drawing a blank. Uh, they played Arizona. Arizona. So he got he got some game time against Arizona. They benched uh, Slovis. And he, it wasn't his most impressive day, I'll admit, uh, off the top of my head. But even still, if he gets a full uh, game time in there, I could see him absolutely lighting it up on the scoreboard each and every week. So what are your thoughts on Mr. Dart, Eric? Well, one, that 20% ownership rate, I guarantee that's all in Dynasty Leagues because you're not going to find him on any Dynasty League waiver wire. Simply put, I mean, he has – I mean, the sky's the limit with him from a college fantasy perspective, uh, especially with Graham Harrell's offense. Them transitioning, it's going to be interesting. The only concern I really have about him going forward is what's the coaching staff going to look like at the end of the True. year? You know, Dante Williams, the defensive guy, master recruiter. Dante Williams, I believe he got 247 recruiter of the year. 
mm-hmm. in 2020. Uh, he was with Oregon. He was the, the guy who led the, led the charge for Oregon going into Southern California and taking all those premium recruits right out of USC's backyard. Mm-hmm. So that's why USC paid him a mint this offseason to come in. And voila, they went from like the number 67 recruiting class to a top 20 literally exactly. overnight. So, I mean, Dante Williams, he could stick because he's a Southern California guy. He's proven that he can do it on the trail. And with Graham Harrell, we'll see. You know, they have a lot to play for, is what I'm saying, this coaching staff, mm-hmm. uh, in other words. So, um, you know, as far as this week, what scares me is, you know, they're playing at Arizona State, eight-point dogs. What, do they still trot out Keaton Slovis? You know, do they? What, what does it look like between those two? Because if if we know Dart's getting those reps, then you trot him out. I would say two QB leagues, deeper formats. You put him out there and you go. Absolutely. So, I, mean, I think at the very least, you know, he's worth a pickup. Speculatively, hold, I would say just hold on to the bench for like a week. See it. See yeah. see what it looks like because we've seen what Dart can do already when he can start through a full game. Absolutely changed the dynamic of that USC offense in the Washington State game. And I think that, he, again, we've seen him at his best. We've probably seen him maybe at his worst. Um, again, I don't think that Arizona State or the Arizona uh, game was his most impressive. But even still, uh, absolutely worth a uh, pickup for this week. Keep in mind, oh. Jackson Dart ran for over 1,000 yards his senior year in high school. Okay, Ooh. he's not just a one-trick pony. He can run if you give him the opportunity. Now he's coming off that knee injury. We saw him practicing with a big, bulky knee brace on his right knee, mm-hmm. so you might not see as much of that this year, obviously. But going forward, he's a real dual-threat QB who can also throw. He's got a cannon, big time. Big yeah, time I, I would say, if, if for some reason he's still available on your dynasty, what is your Ooh. league even doing? <laughs> what is even your league even doing? <laughs> Uh, we'll move on to our th- our fourth quarterback here, and we got Mr. Hendon Hooker at Tennessee. And the last time we talked about Hendon Hooker, um, I mentioned his upcoming schedule because he had still yet to play Bama, still yet to play uh, Kentucky, still yet to play Georgia. And I said that was kind of the major drawback with him if you were going to pick him up. But he played Bama. We saw him put up 25 fantasy points on Bama's defense. Now, Bama's defense, we're still not entirely sure exactly how good they are, but I think we can all agree that they're a good defense. Like they're, they're a defense that can shut down teams whenever they need to. So the Hennon Hooker definitely has the ability to put up points on basically almost anybody. And, well, I, wouldn't, I, I don't think I would ever start anybody against Georgia at this point. But, uh, no, no. But come on. That's, that, that's an outlier. But even so, like, Hennon Hooker, I think, absolutely has the ability to put up some points on Kentucky. We saw Mississippi State put up a ton of yards on Kentucky this past week. So I think he's worth a start there. And then he finishes the season with Southern Alabama and Vanderbilt. Those are playoff weeks. Those are playoff weeks. If Why is this man not sitting on your roster ready to go just for those two weeks? I don't even care if you're not starting him over Kentucky and Bama. Start him those two weeks and you win your championship. Probably. You get a pretty damn good shot of doing it at the very least. Yeah, and we saw Kentucky got really exposed last week. I mean... Mm-hmm. You know, before the Georgia game, there was a lot of talk about, oh, Kentucky, you know, the real Mark Stoops, obviously, you know, they always, he always pitches a good D, Stoops, you know, you got to give it to him. But as you know, being the Georgia guy, uh, they got absolutely pummeled at the line of scrimmage by the dogs. They just got run over. I don't even think that. Well, they throw like twelve passes all day. Like it wasn't. Oh, many they, they well twelve. I mean, Wanda Robinson had twelve receptions just by himself. 38 yards, but... Yeah, right. But, exactly. 
No, do you know, and I, I probably mentioned this on the show before, but like, Wanda Robinson's stat line from that game, he had 12, 12 receptions for 38 yards. That's the lowest amount of yardage a receiver has had with over 10 receptions since 2014. Oh, great stat, Jared. Like, that, like I, I, I saw that on Twitter and I was like, wow, that's actually kind of insane that somebody could get 10 or 12 receptions and not even break 40 yards on the day. Goes to the PPR thing where it's like it's just an extended handoff behind mm-hmm. the line of scrimmage, and then he gets smothered by that defense. But which yeah, should be absolutely. fair, that's how you should use Wando Robinson. It dudes yeah. an electric oh. player. Those quick slants, absolutely. Uh, wide receiver screens, bubbles, you know, end arounds. Oh, they get creative with him. He, he's a wonderful player to watch, certainly. But uh, when it comes to Tennessee, yeah, Josh Heupel has really done what the past few coaches, you know, pretty much every coach since Phil Fulmer left. Uh, has not been able to do, and that's kind of electrify that offense and kind of energize that fan base into thinking that, hey, you know, there's some optimism here. We could be something in a year or two. Absolutely. And they're, uh, they're a live round. It's only, they're only three-point dogs against Kentucky. It goes to show how far the Wildcats have fallen, and uh, why not, you know, especially with that stretch run. Get exactly. All right, so we'll hit up our fifth QB. We actually have six QBs for you guys on the Ooh. day. Usually I try to do five. But I got a, a couple dynasty deep league. Oh, okay, okay. Oh, I, I, I do my research when I come on here, Jared. I'm not playing games. All right, then we got some more for you guys. We got some bonuses. But even so, we'll talk about Mr. Jaron Hall here out of BYU. Not the most consistent guy in the world. Um, that this believe this past week against Virginia was the first time he had broken 30 points on the year. Uh, definitely had some stinkers of games so far this year. But the main story for me here. Finishes the year with Idaho State and Georgia Southern. Idaho State, that's not Idaho. That's not the Idaho Vandals that you're even thinking of. This is like even lower classification than that. So Jaron Hall should have, hopefully he has lit up the scoreboard by the time they have uh, pulled him out of there. And then they finish with Georgia Southern, the worst passing offense and one of the worst rushing defense, or the worst passing defense and one of the worst rushing defenses in the country. So that's also during your championship week right there. So Jaron Hall, I think absolutely worth a pickup. What do you think, Mr. Froton? Yeah, Idaho State. Unfortunately, I'm playing him in my league where Daytona Tech and their head coach, Richard Petty, and I are in a blood feud, and I need this win. So I don't like seeing Jaron Hall playing Idaho State this week. I can only hope that they put the dogs away and it becomes the Tyler Algier and Lapini Katoa show. But yeah, obviously he lit up Virginia, much like every single team that has faced Virginia mm-hmm. has lit up the Cavaliers this year. He was the latest to do so. You know, congratulations to Mr. Hall for that. And, uh, and for Idaho State, of course, uh, BYU got Kalani Sataki just doing a great job coaching that team where mm-hmm. they, they played a full G5 schedule last year. Come here, I believe they have seven Power 5 opponents, and he's rolling through it again. Yeah. And, uh, I again, if BYU was able to keep their undefeated record, they absolutely probably would have been a playoff contender this year with the amount of Power 5 wins. Also, I need to correct something. I said Georgia Southern was in the championship week. I was wrong about that. I misread my notes. It's actually Tulane and UCF that they'll be playing against during the playoff weeks. But even so, Tulane, he'll get you through that. First, he'll get you through that. Wonderful matchup. Wonderful, wonderful matchup, matchup right there. They're getting crushed left and right, absolutely. Especially if... We'll see what happens with Michael Pratt, who is, is in concussion protocol. I assume he'll be back this week. But, man, Hopefully. Again, they're, they're rudderless. Uh, so we'll head up our last uh, quarterback. This is actually a late addition by me. I, I, some, I, I was kind of 
uh, just going back through games and everything like that. And I realized, I'm like, this man has been lighting it up the past two weeks. And for some reason, I just didn't even consider him until too late. But Tyler Van Dyke out of Miami really has reinvigorated this Miami offense after De'Aaron King has gone down for the rest of the season. Now that it's his job, uh, Jake Garcia has been injured, so he doesn't really have Jake Garcia looking over his so shoulder. He took his lumps in his first game. I believe he took uh, through three interceptions in that game. But since then, he's been clean. He's been throwing about three, four touchdowns every single game. Uh, upset Pittsburgh this past weekend was right at the center of that. I think Van Dyke is definitely the future of Miami here for this foreseeable future, even with Jake Garcia coming back. We will see what happens to him uh, going forward. But Eric, what do you think about Mr. Van Dyke here? Absolutely. I mean, you can't say enough. I got to watch a pretty good portion of that game against Pitt, and he was very good. He was also he was pretty good the week before against UNC. It was like a 45-42 mm -hmm. game. You know, I mean, I'm obviously everybody scores on UNC, but when you're talking about a redshirt freshman QB who not really hardly any playing experience, Jake Garcia had all the pub coming in in the offseason, and he was sort of the forgotten man, you know, shuttled down the depth chart, and he comes in, and he has been awesome. The future looks pretty bright there for Miami. Whether or not Manny Diaz sticks around at the end of the year, you know, that certainly remains to be seen. But Rhett Lashley and the offense are doing their job. And, and at 8% owned, I can't possibly imagine he's going to be less than 25% owned by the time the waiver wire runs heading into this weekend. I have to imagine that, especially in Dynasty. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Here he yeah. comes. Yeah. I already got him in my dynasty league. I, I got that Miami uh, quarterback position uh, locked down for the foreseeable future. I grabbed uh, Derek King and Jake Garcia in the draft, and I just picked up Van Dyke off the uh, waiver wire a couple weeks ago. So. Savvy pull. Savvy pull, my friend. I'll go, uh, if, if yes. you want, I'll, I'll get into the deep league stuff here. Yes, deep uh, league. A couple of good deep league pulls. Logan Bonner. Utah State at New Mexico State, 6% rostered. Okay, he's thrown at least two touchdowns in each of his last four games. Threw four touchdowns and 361 yards last week against Hawaii in a 51-31 victory that I did not see coming with Javon Cordero finally back for them. That's a 41-point explosion, mm -hmm. uh, but very consistent. You know, you can pretty much expect to get around 24, 25 points out of him. Even against BYU, he put up 24 and a half. Uh, so if you're in a tough spot, general rule of thumb in fantasy is if you need to pick somebody up, bet against New Mexico State. You're never going to go wrong in that sense. Chase Bryce, uh, Appalachian State, we've seen him really come coming alive and coming you know, into his own as a passer. Didn't really succeed, shall we say, uh, when he was throwing the ball at Duke. He really, the reason why he transferred and why Gunnar Holmberg is winning the show there. But uh, you got to keep in mind, last week, playing against UL Monroe, Four touchdown passes, 256 mm -hmm. yards, you know, put up 35 points. The week before, let's not forget about what he did against Coastal Carolina, where he put up two touchdown passes, 347 yards. Two weeks before that, we played Georgia State. Obviously, they got smoked by Louisiana. Georgia State, he threw for 326 yards, three touchdowns. Marshall, 283 yards, one touchdown. But the point is, three of the past four games, he scored at least 29 points. And where mm -hmm. you're going up against Arkansas State, who is literally infamous at this point for their ineptitude. When it mm -hmm. comes to stopping the pass, just about every advanced analytics you're going to find, according to the great Billy Connolly, you're going to see that he's beneath that 120 mark. They're 120 or below in all of those metrics. I say he's got to be a straight go. And then lastly, uh, Mikey Keene, UCF. Mikey Keene is taking a beating. You know, he really is at a hard time. He's only 4% owned. 
has not been that good. Threw for five touchdowns last week against, admittedly, not so great Temple team. But this week you got at home, the bounce house, playing Tulane, who we just talked about, who doesn't mm-hmm. scare me at all. You know, this he's got a few reps under his belt, seems to be doing a lot better. Maybe you get Jalen Robinson back, but at least Roger Keefe's been great. Certainly taking over that deep threat role. And uh, with having Isaiah Bowser back, you cannot go out and just go into an umbrella shell defense because he's going to rip you up. So uh, I think Mikey Keene, if you're in a deep spot, Dynasty League, give Mikey Keene a shot if you can afford to, to sit him on a big roster because even though Dylan Gabriel will be back, maybe he'll be back for a year and then he's gone. Mm-hmm. Mikey Keene for 2023 should be pretty good. Absolutely. I love I love all three of those calls. You got some great matchups coming up with all three of those guys. Honestly, I don't even know why I didn't even put Chase Bryce on this list because that, that, he's been performing well enough uh for me definitely to throw him on here it had six qbs you did you did great jerry don't leave somebody <laughs> off the list leave me leave me someone to talk about right fair enough fair enough we'll go ahead and move on to our running backs here thank god i got the right graphic up this time uh we'll start off with mr jaron mangum i know i uh he was on our list last week uh john lobb has been uh pushing mangum and almost all of his shows as well and Pretty much, it's been consistency. I don't think you've seen him score less than 12 points in half PPR leagues since week one. Uh, USF realizes they found their main guy here, and he's going to get you consistent points every single week. He's got a ceiling that is close to 30 points in his best game so far. And I think, absolutely, if you're just worried about one of your boomer bust guys not pulling pulling through for you one week and you just need a guaranteed 12, 15 points, Jaron Mangum's your guy. So what do you think, Mr. Eric? Oh, hell yeah. I want to talk about, uh, you know, full line backs. Jaron Mangum, the way he's built, 6'2", mostly he's like 225. It's important to remember his lineage, too. He's at UCF, but he didn't start there. He was a Colorado four-star prospect. Came in two years ago. Alex Fontenot took the majority of the work. He was sort of the, the number two guy. Fine. Fontenot gets hurt last year. Mm-hmm. In comes uh, a Jarek Broussard. He ends up taking over. They go four and two. He sees the writing on the wall with Fontenot coming back and with Jarek Broussard being the guy. He goes and says, all right, well, I'm out of here. I got a free transfer mm-hmm. since, you know, heck, it, it's the 2020 season. Everybody gets a freebie. It's like, I'm out of here. Goes over to Jeff Scott, former offensive coordinator for Clemson, and just has taken that backfield over by storm. He's sort of the thunder element, and Kelly Joyner has done a pretty good job, in, too, of being kind of the more explosive all Absolutely. Back. They've got a real nice rushing attack going. It's later on in the season, that team that's been young, that's turning over in year two of Jeff Scott, mm-hmm. has had some time to really build some continuity, and it's shown. I mean, he's been excellent, and he's going to punch in touchdowns. He's going to get at mm-hmm. least one. He's going to get a touchdown. Chances are he's probably going to get two. If he's owned anywhere, I mean, you have to pick him up. You have to. 100%. We'll go ahead and move on to our next guy here. And this is a blast for the past. Mr. Keontae Ingram, running back out of USC. Last time, most of us were probably talking about him. Uh, we were wondering why he was fumbling on the goal line so much for Texas. I bet a lot of people didn't even know he transferred over to USC. But there he is. He's now the lead back for them by a good wide margin. And really, with Jackson Dart coming in, younger QB, uh, change in coaching staff, it looks like that USC might be committed to running the ball just a little bit more in a lot of these late, uh, more recent games. And Mr. Uh, Ingram here has put up two 20-point games in the past two weeks. So, Eric, what are your thoughts on Mr. Keonta Ingram here? Yeah, it's funny. It's almost similar to what we were talking about with Mangum, where uh, 
you know, Ingram was the guy for two years, and then in comes Bijan Robinson, and the if the writing isn't on the wall when Bijan Robinson came in, you know, if you can't read the tea leaves there, then I don't know what to tell you, but it was the right play, you know? Mm-hmm. He hits the road, goes over USC, where there's an unsettled backfield. I mean, it's pretty much been unsettled since Buck Allen left over there with mm-hmm. the Trojans. And, you know, the talent has really shown. He's a damn good running back. You know, he's mm-hmm. breaking tackles. He runs hard. Uh, he had even, like, a 70-yard touchdown called back because of a holding penalty. really had nothing to do with him in the, in the last game. And uh, he's looked He's looked the part. If he, like you said, you know, no fumble issues. I don't have any problem with Keontae Ingram. He's been performing very well. Obviously, they're playing Arizona State this week. But you saw Arizona State get kind of lit up last week as well mm-hmm. um, by it wasn't it wasn't Utah. It wasn't Utah. It was Utah, and we'll we'll get to that. We'll we'll get to the bad man that did that to Arizona State here in a little bit, but. Absolutely. Can't Wait, no, actually, no, I'm wrong. Utah played UCLA last week. I'm not sure who played Arizona State. Was it Washington they, they State? Did. I know they did beat up on them. Uh, Washington State, I believe, played. Uh... Washington State. It was the Max Borty show. That's yes, right. it was. Yeah, they, Arizona State got exposed, surprisingly. But, hey, that's there you go. You go to you Pullman. Go. That's what you get. Um, yeah, so that's Mr. Keonta Ingram. We'll go ahead and move on to our next guy here. And that is Mr. Dedrick Parson out of Hawaii. Uh didn't know that Hawaii was allowed to have another off or another fantasy relevant player outside of Mr. Calvin Turner. Uh, but Dedrick Parson, the past couple of weeks, has really turned it on for them, has become a key weapon for them uh, in a lot of their games. Uh, anything else I got to mention right here? Yeah, last two games, uh, two weeks ago, he put up 42.5 points. And this past week, put up 24 points. Looks like he's going to be a consistent part of this, uh, going to be a consistent part of this offense going forward. What are your thoughts, Mr. Froton? Oh yeah, Dedrick Parson, absolutely. I picked him up in the uh, in the uh, Kings Classic League, and I didn't play last week because it, it wouldn't have mattered. Every but every running back I had went for twenty five points, and it still wasn't enough, Jared. Thanks to dude, I li- I I was texting you. I, I texted you, and I was just like, dude, the fact that like you had everybody go for twenty plus points, I was like, how do you even fight that? And then Algier and Kenneth Walker come on, and I'm just like, well, how, what do you yeah, do against that? Wrong. Yeah, I said, I'm like, one of us is going to lose, and whoever loses is going to be the second high point scorer, and it was. I was the second mm-hmm. high point scorer of the week. It just wasn't enough. It was too much Algier and Kenny Walker. But, yeah, absolutely, Dedrick Parson, whoever, and, and Day-Day Hunter had done it a few weeks prior, uh, but he's been down. And with there being a lot of question marks surrounding Hunter when he's going to be back, because as as we get to, who knows? Who knows? Mm-hmm. Who knows? We can't trust what college coaches say. We don't know when he'll be back. I do know that Dedrick Parson has taken over that between the tackles role while Calvin Tyler has been the more scat back out of that go-go offense, which was innovated by former college fantasy football legend for Tulsa, Brennan Marion, who is a home run hitting wide receiver. Even though Marion has moved on, they have still kept that offensive system in place where they have the two-back system. And it's really been pretty lethal for Hawaii. So uh, absolutely, I have no problem with picking up Dedrick Parson, especially at 6% owned. I mean, he's got to be he's got to be picked up. Absolutely, and if I remember correctly, he's uh, he's pretty young, like freshman, sophomore. Um, big time so, dynasty ad. Yeah, it was yeah. a big time dynasty ad there for you guys. Uh, we'll throw on our next running back pick here, and that's Mr. Tavion Thompson out of Utah. Guys, it's simple. Utah's five percent owned. Only five percent owned. Utah's found their RB one, y'all, and that 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 is just a position you have to own in 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 CFF. 
That is as simple as that. Grab him everywhere you can, even in shallow leagues. My home league has only four teams. I'm heavily considering throwing up, throwing a waiver wire ad for Tavian Thompson because he's going to be better than some of the guys I have going forward. This is an insane ad this late into the season. This could change a season right now. So what do you think, Mr. Froton? In the 50-teamer, I was playing against Tavion Thomas this week. And remember I was saying how I literally lost both games mm -hmm. almost at the same time when we were t tweeting with each other? Absolutely. Yeah. Tavion Thomas broke his fourth touchdown in the game, and I swear to you, like, I must have woke up the whole house. Like, my hands were all little boy. I was uh, – the expletives coming out of my mouth because, like, I was up heavy mm -hmm. going into that game. And, fuck, I, I was so upset with uh gosh who were they uh, ucla like ucla oh yeah one of the best run defenses in the pac-12 no no they let them waltz right through that line for a 30-yard touchdown that put the stake in my heart and i was so upset i was cursing everything about chip kelly all game i watched that entire game and he is a bruiser big back similar to, to mangum that's i mean he's mm -hmm. you can tell when him or pledger are in it's it doesn't take oh, yeah. long to figure out which one's which just punishing, going up, going, running through people, taking on linebackers. By the end of the game, they didn't want any part of him. They did mm -hmm. not want to take him up high. They were going low the whole time. Uh, absolutely, 5% on. That's almost insulting. I can't believe he's 5% on at this point. I, I think it's because people, like, it felt like for a couple of weeks there, they're kind of going back and forth on some guys, kind of similar how to Minnesota is right now, where they're going back and forth on a bunch of guys. But it looks like Tavian Thompson, he's that guy for Utah, y'all. Pick him up. Put up our last running, or my last running back. I'm sure Eric's got a couple of uh, great deep ads here, but Mr. Will Shipley. Uh, man, it is incredible how Clemson's offense starts looking functional once they have a legitimate running back prospect there to help them move that offense along. I'm sure they are so glad that Will Shipley's back, and you as fantasy owners should be glad that Will Shipley is back because first game back, hitting almost 30 points for Clemson this past week. He is that dude that they'll be given 20, 25 carries a game to every single time from here on out. Because God knows nothing else on that offense can get going. And Eric, I know you're a huge fan of Shipley throughout the entire offseason. So what do you think about him being this late of a season ad for so many people? Yes, anybody on the CFF site Discord server knows that I have been pounding the drum. Everyone's saying, oh, is it going to be Kobe Pace? Well, the, the position coach is saying Kobe Pace is going to be the guy. Hogwash. Okay, coach speak. We you have to learn to decipher coach speak in the college fantasy realm. Okay, mm -hmm. Kobe's pace, a run of the mill three star running back who got less than twenty carries last year. Okay, he's not going to come in and keep a five star blue chip stud on the sidelines for very long. And it didn't take very long, to nope. be honest. I mean, Kobe Pace, he had one game when uh, when Shipley was out simply because you know of volume, but he's a pedestrian run-of-the-mill guy, Shipley is special. And this was really his coming out party last week against Florida State. He kept that team afloat. It was it was nip and tuck for mm -hmm. that whole game up until they, they blew the, uh, you know, the last play and Clemson ran in for a touchdown on the hook and ladder. That was really, <laughs> that was a three-point win, you know, mm -hmm. for Clemson. That was not a blow in any way, shape, or form. And it was the Will Shipley show. No question. The fact that he's 27%, you have to go get him. He is going to be road hard and put away wet every he'll, game for the rest of the year. He'll probably be, be well above 40% owned by the time that we even talk about next week. 
everybody knows that Clemson number one running back is kind of like the Alabama running back one at this point. It's like you just know you got to grab him. Got to get him, and he especially when he's a five-star phenom freshman coming off of that performance. He was excellent last week. Absolutely. So you got a couple of deep guys for us at running back, Eric, before we move on to wide receivers? You know I do. I have a little combo platter, too. Ooh, combo Blake, platter. A little combo platter, yeah. We, we like it because Blake Watson, running back slash wide receiver for Ooh. Old Dominion, owned it only 9% of leagues. This guy is getting – he's in full-blown bell cow territory for ODU. 26 carries or 168 yards against Marshall three weeks ago. 22 carries, 104 yards, and a touch two weeks ago against Western Kentucky. Then last week against Louisiana Tech, where they beat Louisiana Tech, actually. Mm -hmm. uh, 25 carries, buck eight, three, ca three catches as well. He only got three yards. But again, in PPR scoring, that's three catches. Um, he has been the guy every single down. For Old Dominion, and with them playing a Florida international team who is absolutely horrendous on defense, this is a absolute. I mean, a sieve defensively that FIU mm -hmm. defense, and they they give up big plays, like in terms of big play rate, in terms of marginal explosiveness. Like they are one of the worst teams when it comes to defensively in the country. So you want to go and give Blake Watson. It's elementary, my dear Watson, <laughs> for you to go and pick him up. Uh, you should certainly be giving him priority. Also, my man, you know, I, I have a, a soft spot in my heart. If uh, The way I refer to this guy is he's the Deuce Vaughn of the G5. Johnny Ford, USF transfer, now at FAU. My gosh, he was so explosive. Anybody who watched that Thursday night game with him against Charlotte last week, he gets the ball in the open field, and he's lightning. He's, he's small. Mm -hmm. He's only like 5'5", five, 5'6". Five, five, but my gosh, he plays bigger than he is. You, you, they, they get him the ball in creative ways, and all you need to do is get him in space. He's so tough to tackle. So much speed. I'm a huge Johnny Ford fan, and they're playing, uh, they're playing Marshall this week, which should be a, a pretty nip-and-tuck game. Marshall is not the Doc Holiday Marshall anymore. Uh, they come in. And they play with a real up-tempo scheme, and they've been shown that they will give up some points as well. So mm -hmm. uh, I like him. And lastly, Terion Avery, South Alabama. Now, good call. Obviously, coming into the season, it, it's it's the Jake Bentley show. They obviously have a wide receiver that everybody knows, everybody owns. Dylan Tolbert, you know, he's a star. Wayne as well, the, the wide receiver, he's done a good job. But Lacey. Terion Avery, yep, absolutely. Terion Avery, only 1% owned, right, has has worked his way up the depth chart there at USA. Past two games, uh, two games ago at UL Monroe in a 31-41 loss. 14 carries, 87 yards, seven catches for 48 yards. Again, PPR, that's a 20-point game. Last week against Arkansas State, we already talked about Arkansas State. It doesn't get any better. Florida International, Arkansas State, anybody you got, they're pretty much full goes against those two pathetic defenses. 22 carries, 113 yards, a catch for two yards and a touchdown. Another bordering on 20-point week. He's 1% owned. Okay, mm -hmm. In dynasty formats, I guarantee you he's going to be prioritized on the wire. If people didn't already grab him last week against ULM at only 1% owned, he's definitely somebody you want to get on your roster. 
100%. Absolutely. We'll go ahead and move on to our wide receivers here. I got five for you, and I'm sure Eric will have three more for you deeper players. Uh, so, but we'll start off here with Mr. Nathaniel Dell, wide receiver out of Houston. You want, owned on 30% of rosters, you want the wide receiver one in a Dana Holderson offense. And Nathaniel Dell, now that things have kind of been kind of settled down there at Houston, back from injury, looking like he's going to be the guy going forward at an absolutely monster game, monster game against SMU this past week. Um, Eric, what are your thoughts on Mr. Dell? The farmer and the Dell, absolutely. You know, coming into the season, I really liked Keyshawn Carter because he was so electric at Texas Tech. He was a missed tackle machine. You get him on those little quick hitches, quick slants, and he was so good at making people miss. One of the best in the country. But it's proven. Nathaniel Dell is a home run hitter on the outside. He's not particularly big. He's only like 160 pounds. Oh, wow. But, man, you see him time after time. He can beat the coverage. He's a good route runner. He's mm -hmm. got jets, you know, in that similar to the, you know, Houston seems to do a great job of bringing in those really fast wide receivers. Marquez Stevenson last year in particular, I think he ran like a, a sub 4-3 at the combine, or at least right in the 4-3s. Dell has that kind of jets as well. Uh, he, I think he had two touchdowns last game, two long ones. Three. Three touchdowns last game against SMU. I mean, what more do you want from him? He clearly has to be uh, has to be rostered in pretty much every single format. Only thirty percent. Yeah, go get Nathaniel Dell. Easy call. All right, we'll move on to our next guy here. We got Mr. Ryan O'Keefe out of UCF. Jalen Robinson out for the count. I wish I had said this on an actual show, but a couple of months ago, I or it was um I believe it was Colin Decker on the Campus Canton show. They were talking about oh boy Colin. Yeah, give it up. Yeah, I lo love those two guys. Absolutely check out their show. Um, they were talking about, like, there wasn't really, like, a wide receiver behind Jalen Robinson at UCF. And I texted him immediately afterwards. I'm like, I want to say that because with Jalen Robinson down during spring camp, I heard that Ryan O'Keefe became the main guy once he was down. And they thought that was interesting. And I was like, okay, I didn't really think much about it until now here in the season jalen robinson's been out for several games for ucf who's taken over mr ryan o'keefe right there absolutely monster game this past weekend eric you scared the crap out of me starting him against us in the king's classic um i never wanted i never wanted to be so wrong in all my life when i saw him start putting up some points um dude is absolutely monster now the wide, wide receiver one at ucf and honestly i don't know if he gives it back when jalen robinson comes back so he's going to be an absolute monster for you going forward. What do you think, Eric? Yeah, the thing about O'Keefe, too, is he was explosive in limited action last year. Obviously, Jalen Robinson was the primary outside wide receiver. Mm -hmm. um, you also had, I mean, obviously Marlon Williams was out there, too, who, you know, six foot two twenty two would just bully people for the ball. But O'Keefe was, uh, was lining up in the slot, and he was doing good work up the seam. And he was hitting home runs, but he didn't have the kind of usage rate, really, to uh, you know to justify a real big investment. Mm -hmm. That being said, I mean that's no longer a problem anymore, despite the fact that Dylan Gabriel isn't around anymore. O'Keefe has proven to be the focal point in that passing offense. Brandon Johnson has kind of been the uh, like the red zone option. He has yes. had a touchdown in almost every game. It seems like Johnson does a great job, and, and he's a good technician there. Uh, in gold zone, red zone situations. But when it comes to hitting the bombs, which is what UCF does, he has proven that he is without peer in that wide receiver group. 
And uh, at 16%, you know, obviously I was kind of taking a leap of faith starting him uh, to some respect against you in the Kings Classic League, but I, I had the confidence that that he could keep up that performance. I was lucky enough that he did, though it still wasn't enough, was it, Jared? I'm going to tell you about every great player that you played against us and still <laughs> managed to lose the game somehow. We'll move on to our third wide receiver. Well, yeah, I can take somebody out for you this week. You know, I, I think I got Bainbridge. I'll, I'll try to take out Bainbridge. So you, oh, you I appreciate it. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. We'll move on to a third wide receiver here. That is Mr. Calvin Jackson, wide receiver out of Washington, owned on 10% of rosters. Man, everybody loves Travell Harris. Uh, he's owned on a good percentage, way more percentage than Calvin Jackson. Here's the problem, though. Calvin Jackson has more receiving yards than Travell Harris has on this year and has almost just as many touchdowns. He is being completely ignored by the fantasy community. This dude is an absolute stud when it comes to just flying under the radar and an easy pickup for you this far. And Eric, I believe this is another player that he started against us this past week. I was, was going to say, you're literally running down my lineup of wide receivers now who I started against you last week. Yeah, might have been kind of a bold start, but uh, yeah, I've been on Calvin jo Jackson absolutely all year. And the thing is, he was an outside receiver last year. And when Renard Bell got hurt in the preseason, all the reports out of camp was that he was moving over to that inside slot. And those two slot roles mm -hmm. at Washington State, and then obviously with Nick Rolovich and his, and his staff at Hawaii, those are the guys that eat. Those are the guys that dominate. And that's what they like in that run-and-shoot offense. And you've seen them both. Travell Harris and Calvin Jackson, they're pretty much six of one, half dozen of the other. I am a... I have a personal affection for Travell Harris. Like he's he's been my dude. When I um, obviously I am a co-host of the uh, the college fantasy football on campus podcast with John Lobb and Scott Bogman. And when I first went on my fir very first show in 2020, I remember that Scott, show. Scott asked me who my breakout player of the year was. And I, in no uncertain terms, told him my number one breakout, who wasn't even in the top 100 that I saw for just about any of the rankings, was Travell Harris. So I, I have a personal, you know, connection to him. That being said, Calvin Jackson being owned at 10% can't happen. You know, yeah. I understand wide receivers are volatile. And that's the thing is they're so consistent. The reason why he's probably even at that level is because when Jaden Delora went out, they were rudderless. Jared Garantano Bay is an absolute terrible quarterback i don't think anybody don't. is going to try to tell you that he isn't and then you know it wasn't much better um with uh it wasn't gunner cruz in arizona the other guy uh, 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 it's, his name eludes me because he's simply irrelevant at this point but um yeah when they had the backup quarterbacks in they just simply were unable they, they weren't able to run that system when you had delora come back he ran it in high school it's from hawaii like, he's grown up in that system. Mm -hmm. It's night and day, and you've seen it. I think they're on, like, a four-and-one run, despite the fact that half their coaching staff got dismissed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. to get the jab. So, um, you know, they're still doing it because Delora, Jackson, and Harris are making that passing offense go, and they're clicking right now. 100%. Uh, we'll hit up our fourth wide receiver here. Another guy who's just a piece of a great passing offense, Mr. Mitchell Tinsley, wide receiver out of Western Kentucky. Just at this point is the consistent wide receiver two each and every week for the Western Kentucky offense. Obviously, we all know Jared Stearns. 
probably going to be the wide receiver one by the end of the year. But that's the great thing about that Western Kentucky offense. They have so much passing volume. They can have two fantasy wide receivers. And Mitchell Tinsley is that guy every single week. But for some reason, he is only owned on 16% of rosters. Eric, what's going on here? Yeah, well, I mean, it speaks to high volume passing offenses. The high-octane offenses, and obviously there is none more high-octane than Western Kentucky. They're leading the entire nation in passing yards per game. So, you know, if you're going to go shopping, I like going where I know that there's going to be targets distributed and there's going to be more opportunities, especially since they're obviously scoring plenty, too, and mm-hmm. they're just throwing for a lot of yards. So it's never a bad idea in college fantasy football while Stearns is going to be owned literally every single place and, and as he should be, in next year's drafts, too, you know, as we're projecting down the line, there's nothing wrong with going after those number two, number mm-hmm. three wide receivers in those sets and letting the, everything shake out a little bit. Because frequently you will see those players emerge to become, even if they're not the number one wide receiver on their team, they're absolutely playable. And mm-hmm. on a weekly basis where you have to make those decisions, you have to make the call. Who are you going to play? You got bye weeks. Oh, do I play this guy? Do I play that guy? The, the safety in those sort of players when you have to make tough start-sit calls on those big offenses is invaluable. Daywood Davis is another guy I have in two leagues mm-hmm. in, my, in my very deep leagues. So I just went and grabbed him, and it's like, you don't know who's going to hit from week to week. And Davis has had a, a touchdown for the past five weeks. It's obviously Ben Tinsley, Tinsley who's established himself as the two, but, hey, Stearns is gone next year in, in, in dynasty formats. Mm-hmm. There you go. Go take those younger guys who are still coming up, and they're going to fill in those roles. So. Now's the time to go and start doing that, especially if you're looking in the future. And Tinsley is a, a this-week play regardless. 100%. Let's hit up our well, my final wide receiver play of the week, and that's going to be Mr. Malik Williams out of App State. Put, put him up last week. Guess what? He went out and did it again. Massive week this week. Um, and guess what? He's playing against Arkansas State this weekend. After that, playing against South Alabama. After that, playing against Troy. Finishes up the season. Championship week against Georgia Southern. This dude is going to be having monster weeks in the upcoming weeks. Clearly is, in, if not the number one wide receiver for Appalachian State going forward, he is at least 1A, 1B along with Corey Sutton. Uh, Corey Sutton's owned on too many fantasy leagues at this point in order for me to put him on here. But Malik Williams, right there with him, just as valuable, right there for you to pick him up. He's only owned on 21% of leagues. Eric, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, Corey Sutton is the absolutely preferred outside option at Appalachian State. Obviously, I chased Bryce on my recommended list, so it's not like I'm avoiding this uh, this offense at all. And again, they're playing Arkansas State. So uh, Malik Williams has been a, a straight-up technician out of the slot. Mm-hmm. You know, he's running a variety of routes. He's hitting him in different phases of the game. They're allowing him to get out there and run. And at the same time, he, he is killing people down the seam. You saw he was deadly against Coastal Carolina as good a defense as they're going to play all year and he was toasting those slot corners so where you have somebody as shifty and as crafty as Malik Williams is and you're going to throw a slot corner on him that's a bad matchup especially when you're talking about Arkansas State in the Sun Belt absolutely so Eric what are your three deep wide receiver plays for uh your deeper leagues well uh this guy is playing Trevon Bradford Oregon State Somehow it was only 2% owned. Now, Trevon Bradford is somebody who has been around. He's a super senior and a half. And he feels like he's uh, 
I like to refer to them as Taysom Hill All-Stars. They feel like they're literally 30 years old by the time they end college. Trevor, Jerron Bradford's been around, people, but he mm-hmm. got injured early in the season. And in the preseason, Zariah Beeson got all the hype. You know, like, oh, he's going to be the next Isaiah, uh, you know, Hodgins. Well, you know he's not, okay? Not only is this year, because uh, Bradford came out injured, started ramping up, okay? Three weeks ago, two catches, 24 yards against Washington State, got a carry for five yards. Two weeks ago against Utah, 42-34 win. Six catches, 74 yards, a touchdown. Two carries for 20 yards and a touchdown. I love the versatility. And then last week against Cal, six catches, buck 24, two TDs, plus he got it. He got another run. He's getting it in all phases of the game. It's, he's proven. Jonathan Smith, first of all, I love Oregon State. you got to remember, Oregon State has been a honey hole for wide receivers for awful. a long time. Mike Haas, for a lo- back in the old days, Mike Haas was awesome. You have the Rodgers voice. James Rodgers was legit. Mm-hmm. Isaiah Hodgins just came out of there. Jonathan Smith is a former quarterback who's now coaching Oregon State. I love Oregon State for fantasy purposes. And Trevon Bradford has proven that he is clearly the number one wide receiver there. So uh, considering that Bradford is playing at Colorado, only 2% owned, we've seen how bad Colorado is, everyone. Terrible. Absolutely terrible. Terrible. So you want to be – if you're looking for somebody, if, if you're short, you got some injuries, you know, maybe had Drake London who just went out and you need to replace him, I think Trevon Bradford is a pretty good look. Next, speaking of Drake London going down, a guy that I have in the 50-teamer, a guy that I have in a couple of different – in my home league, a couple of different dynasty leagues. I love Gary Bryant, USC. Only 12% owned. He's the most I, – I try to keep it as low as I can. I wanted to go under 12%, but I like Gary Bryant so much that I think you're going to see, you know, Taj Washington because he is that Y receiver will be sliding mm-hmm. over the X uh, in in uh, Drake London's spot. But look, Amon or St. Brown, eight in that slot role, you know, for USC. Gary Bryant, as soon as London went down, yeah, I mean, certainly you saw Taj Washington getting, getting 10 wrecks. Mm-hmm. Gary Bryant's the most explosive of the two. He's the home run hitter. And when you match him up similarly to Malik Williams against those soft slot corners, he is toasting them. Mm-hmm. He got two touchdowns last week. And even though his usage was down, when he got opportunities early on in the season, he's cashing them in for touchdowns. And he's making big plays. I really like Gary Bryant. Only 12% owned. I think, you know, they're playing at Arizona State. Uh, they just got lit up by Washington State. Pass-oriented offense, obviously. Graham Harrell. Runs the air raid over there at USC. I really like Gary Bryant at 12% ownership. And let's shoot down the board a little further. Tez Johnson, the Tez dispenser for Troy. Troy. Oh my gosh. You know, uh, Reggie Todd, unfortunately, Mr. Todd, uh, is not likely not going to be around. He's a senior. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, he got into some trouble with the law. that didn't look too flattering. I'll kind of leave it at that. But uh, Tez Johnson. Again, working out of the slot, has had at least six catches in his last seven games, all right? He's as right as rain. And now with Reggie Todd out, okay, let's go with the last couple of games. Nine catches for 81 yards and a touch against Texas State two weeks ago. Played Coastal Carolina. Troy gave Coastal Carolina everything they could handle mm-hmm. last week. 35-28, obviously they lost, but... Uh, 88 yards, a touchdown, 
64-yard touchdown reception. They give it to him in the short and the long phase of the game. If you're in PPR, he's as high floor a player as you're going to get. And as discussed, I mean, the guy is only 3% owned, and they're playing South Alabama, who South Alabama will give up some yardage on, in the air. Pretty good on the ground, but they'll give up some yardage in the air. And Troy has been so much better since they got Taylor Powell out and uh, went back to uh, our friend Gunner there. So he's, uh, he's back in the fold. Those are my three wide receivers I like. Eric, those are all three awesome options. I love all th- I, I love all three of them, especially Tess Johnson. That was a great pickup there. I've, uh, I've been doing some projections over for uh, Fanjections, and I got the Sun Belt. And so Troy came up online. I've been watching Tess Johnson's share go up every single week, and I think he's absolutely worth a pickup, not just for this year, but just going forward in that Troy offense. I think he's the main guy there. So great picks there. We'll hit up tight ends here. Uh, for those of you who haven't listened to the show before, I tend to go through tight ends a lot quicker because let's be honest, y'all don't care about them nearly as much. Um, but even so, I'll run through each of these guys real quick. Maybe say a blurb or two here and there. Eric, um, once I get through all five of these guys, if you any of them you want to go back to and uh, discuss a little bit more, we can. Uh, but I'll talk about Mr. Peyton Hendershot here. Uh, 23% owned, uh, tight end out of Indiana. Dude's been electric uh, for these backup quarterbacks at Indiana. Tight ends are a great safety blanket for these guys, and Peyton Hendershot's been feasting over there because of it. Uh, next up, we got Zach Kuntz, uh, tight end out of Old Dominion. Dude's been having himself a, a couple of great wow, weeks. Look at that picture of Zach Kuntz. Dude. I would say it was a great picture, by the way. <laughs> great pick. Um, so he has been eating. Tight end it used to be a tight end out of Penn State. Y'all, let's be real. If you ever see a tight end transfer out of Penn State, it's because they that room is just absolutely loaded and you should follow whoever transferred out of there because they're probably going to go feast somewhere else and that's exactly what happened with Zach Kuntz here he's going to be great for you going forward uh Benjamin Eurosec tight end out of Stanford 9% owned dude has had a great couple of past weeks uh see if he can keep that up Josh Wiley uh decides to finally exist uh had himself a couple of touchdowns in each of the past two games thank god Desmond Ritter finally remembered that he does in fact exist uh, one of my favorite tight ends coming into this year. It looks like post-type sleeper right here. Owned on 18%. He's going to be great for you. And then last but not least, I'm going to throw out Jeremy Ruckert here. Tight end out of Ohio State. Didn't have the greatest week this past week, but this is just one of those deals, y'all, where if you're in a redraft league, most of the main guys on the Ohio State roster are already taken. They're already rostered somebody. You got to go find a piece of that Ohio State offense putting up 50 points in the three out of the last four games. Jeremy Rucker usually finds a piece or two here and there in those games. So absolutely worth picking him up there. Eric, any of these guys you want to go back and touch on? First off, I'm shocked that Peyton Hendershot is only owned in 23% of leagues. That's insane. He's got to mm. be more. But uh, you actually named one of the tight ends I wanted to talk about. Only 9% owned Benjamin Urasek. Are you kidding me? All right. You got to go and watch some film on this guy. He's mm-hmm. awesome. And this is a Stanford team that has a long, storied history of some damn good tight ends that have come out of there. Eurosec, just the past three games, okay? I happen to watch him. Uh, I watched him absolutely against Arizona State. And then again, this week against Washington. Arizona State, six catches, 118 yards. And some of those catches, there were guys draped all over him. He has a magnificent set of hands. He's real. He's the real deal. Washington State, five catches, 90-yard yards, a touch. Even got an end around. Mm -hmm. He got a little inside handoff for 11 yards, too. Uh, And last week, Washington, as discussed, Washington has an excellent secondary. So you're not beating them 
on the outside, six catches, 93 yards. So the, to sum it up, he's had at least five catches and 93 yards in each of the past three games. He's got mm-hmm. Tanner McKee, who's a blue chip quarterback throwing to him. He's looked pretty good as well. He's, I mean, that's his number one target. He loves throwing a Urasek. You have Absolutely. to get Benjamin Urasek. You need a tight end. Dude, that's your guy if he's mm-hmm. out there. Mark my words. I'm in on Benjamin Urasek. 100% they're playing Utah at Oregon State, Cal, and they end up with Notre Dame, uh, which him and Michael Mayer will be an excellent court, uh, tight end battle. And then next, I have one more for you here since it is tight end, of course. Uh, Casey Kelly for Good call. Good call. Uh, Mississippi. Now, Casey Kelly got a lot of pub. I want to say in most of the expert rankings I looked at, he was in the top 20. You know, he's in probably that 15 to 20 range in a lot of them. Some of them he was a little higher because of that Mississippi offense. But he got hurt. He was banged up late mm-hmm. in training camp. And he didn't even suit up until three weeks ago against Tennessee. Got his feet wet. Three catches, 31 yards. Okay. Then last week or two weeks ago against uh, LSU, two catches, eight yards, but a touchdown. And then finally, he kind of broke out last week against Auburn where they need to throw more. Seven catches, 81 yards. Uh, he looked good in the process doing so. Uh, he's only owned in 4% of leagues right now. So he's pretty much, you can get him. I mean, he's out there. That would be my recommendation. Urasek or Kelly are, are my two favorite guys under 10%. Absolutely, 100%. Again, we all saw how Kenny Yabo was used last year with that Ole Miss offense. Like, everybody remembers Elijah Moore, but you have to remember, it, like, everybody forgot about Ely. Everybody forgot about Kenny Yaboa really keeping that offense going, keeping those guys off of Elijah Moore so he could do his thing. Um, yeah, so. Boa. So uh, Casey Kelly absolutely could be that guy going forward for Ole Miss, especially since they can't keep any of their wide receivers healthy. Correct. So, wow. We're an hour and 45 minutes into this, and we haven't even gotten to the game previews. But screw it. We're going in. Uh, We got so much to talk about. And Eric, once again, appreciate so much all the insight you're bringing onto this show today. I'm sure everybody is extremely entertained with the amount of information that you're bringing to us today. You have been awesome. But now, we got some games to talk about. A little bit less fantasy-oriented, mostly just talking, just football kind of things you notice in this game. Maybe a player or two you wanted to call out here. Uh, and we're going to start off with the Big Ten matchup, the top ten matchup of the weekend. Michigan, 33. Michigan State, 37. I'm going to say that this is probably in the top three games of the season so far, if not the top one. An incredible game yesterday. A lot of things really to point out here. Obviously, the big story, Kenneth Walker, 23 carries, 197 yards, five touchdowns. Just a monster, monster, monster day. But some other guys broke out as well. Eric All, uh, tight end from Michigan, uh, 10 catches, 98 yards. He was great. Andre Anthony, who I don't think anybody even knew who he was. Six catches, 155 yards, two touchdowns. Incredible days for them. And, man, this game turned around. Uh, I know a lot of people, including myself, once this game got to Michigan 30, Michigan State 14, a lot of people turned this game off. They said this was over. Uh, They did not see Michigan State turning this around. But you know how that gets turned around right there? Michigan's last five drives. Punt. Field goal. uh, Fumble. Downs. Interception. Michigan State. Touchdown. Touchdown. Punt. Touchdown. Punt. That's how you blow a 16-point game lead and lose a game like this. And I know a lot of people are going to bring up 
the bad call that Michigan had with the return touch, the fumble for a touchdown and stuff like that. I've maintained on this show so many times, y'all. Don't ever let a game get into the point where an official can really overturn that game. Michigan had this game handled. They were up 16 points against Michigan State. They should have been able to pull away from that point, but they didn't. And so, Eric, what are your thoughts on this game? First off, Anthony, uh, coming, it's funny. He, uh, he's actually from East Lansing, and he's a three-star recruit. He was a high, I want to say he was like a 87 grade or so for 247 sports. And that was sort of a big coup from Michigan taking Anthony, you know, right out of Michigan State's backyard. And, oh, my gosh, was he awesome. You know, with Ronnie Bell going down early in the season, they've been mm -hmm. looking for that, you know, opposite receiver uh, next to Cornelius Johnson, of course, yeah. who Cornelius Johnson, you know, re he's been all right. But, you know, they needed somebody else, obviously. Yeah. Mike, Mike Sandra still had a nice little game, too who we've heard a lot about, you know, from the two years on campus uh, out of the slot. He's a pretty dynamic player, but it was definitely the Andrell Anthony show. And my gosh, multiple great plays, especially that reception he had, the touchdown reception where he leaped over the defender in the end zone and like plucked it on top of him and brought it in still. Like just a great play. Can't say enough about him. Um, and then obviously on the other side, the problem with Michigan was the way they scored was how they haven't been putting up points all season, which is they were doing it through the air. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're not seeing Cade McNamara throw for over 200 yards, probably at all. No, all he threw for long. over 400 in this game. Yeah, and he was slinging it mm -hmm. out there. And that's how they were moving the ball. You know, it, it was traditionally it would have been Corum and Haskins, like that tandem. And neither of them really came into play quite the way that we, I think anybody expected him to. Almost screwed um, me in the Kings Classic. Almost did, yeah. I was pleased to see Hassan Haskins put up under eight fantasy points, though it just made the dramatic win that much sweeter for you, didn't it? Yes, Jared? it did, 100%. Damn you. I'll, I'll keep throwing in the salt. <laughs> you should, hey. Listen, that as I, as we discussed, those aren't the, the losses that bother me. The loss that bothered me is when Rashad White's going through warm-ups and he doesn't record a snap and I could have put in Logan right for him who got yep. 20 points and would have won me the game. Those are the ones that hurt, <laughs> right? You beat me, you beat me. You know, so be it. But, Absolutely. Um, yeah, just an incredible game. I mean, you can't say enough. What Entertaining. An electric atmosphere there. Oh, yeah. Dancing. I mean, that's what we were missing last season. You know, that's what, that's what we watch college football for. That's what you don't get. If you – and I always like to say this to the NFL stands out there. Watch a college football game. Watch a big-time college football game. Go to a big-time college football game tailgate. And you sit there and you tell me that that atmosphere isn't better than any NFL game you've ever been to. Because it is. Because mm -hmm. the NFL is so homogenous. It's well, so because the regular it's it's spread. because it's so the regular boring. season doesn't matter. If you go to a Falcons game, yeah, whoop de doo We lost to South Carolina, or we lost to the Panthers today. Whoop de freaking do. We're we're three and four now. Oh no! Like we can still win out and make the playoffs, even though we have four losses this early in the season. Like I'm not gonna say we do. Don't hear what I'm not saying, audience. Like I'm not saying the Falcons are about to go and tear off 10, 10 12 wins in a row. Not but no Calvin Ridley then. But even still, that's the point. It's like you don't see people getting up for that because they know that that's only one game out of 17 that they're getting, and then they could still make the playoffs by the end of the season if everything went right for them. 
gear. These guys were playing for their season. They're both undefeated. Michigan now likely on the outside looking in for playoff unless they win out from here on out. Michigan in the driver's seat in the Big Ten East now. Um, Ohio State obviously still looms large there, but I can see Michigan State easily handling Penn State going forward. And I believe Ohio State gets Michigan State at home, right? This year? So, yes. Okay, that's wow. going to be... A, what, a, what a stretch run we got coming up. Wow. Oh, the, that Big Ten schedule got real intense real quickly. But even still, we got big games in the Big Ten. We'll go ahead and move on to our other ranked matchup here. Or actually, the second of three ranked matchups from this weekend. But we got number 18, Auburn, taking down number 10, Ole Miss. Final score, 31 uh, to 20. I went first in the last one. Eric, what are your thoughts on this game? Sure, absolutely. I mean, Auburn, you got to give it to them. You know, they took that loss to Penn State 28-20 early on in the season. Uh, you know, we're kind of down. We were kind of, you know, they were taking a beating a little bit. You know, mm -hmm. they're getting beat up to go over, and obviously they play Georgia. Mm -hmm. What are you going to do? You yep. know, it, it's it, it, that none of those losses to Georgia look bad. I don't think you can really take much out of any of them. Nope. You know, in terms of predicting against other teams, because it's freaking Georgia's defense. What do you do about that? Mm -hmm. So uh, they've come and, man, they've put together a nice little run. Uh, Bo Nix. Much maligned. I mean, who took a bigger beating than Bo Nix in the preseason in terms of his play? And, you know, he's really taken to this Brian Harson system. And he's performing. Where, where's the copy pasta? I need to look up the copy pasta. Where is it at? <laughs> I mean, you, you got to give it to him. You know, he, he, he's performing, you know, I, in spite well, he, of everything. He's it was it. after he got benched. It's like after he got benched and they got put in back in during that LSU game, he's been a different quarterback pretty much ever since then. I mean, obviously, like you said, tough game against Georgia. Everybody's going to have a tough game against Georgia, even if a team beats Georgia. They, Georgia ain't going down without a fight, especially on defense. They're going to make you feel every down. But Bo Nix, again, look at his stat line. 22 for 30, 276 yards and a touchdown. On the ground, he had eight carries for 30 yards and two touchdowns. This was a Bo Nix I think Auburn fans have been waiting for. And, man, it kind of sucks that it comes when what's likely his last year. I can't imagine he comes back next year. Could. Um, but in addition to that, we also got to we also gotta give love to Tank Bigsby. Finally him showing back up. Finally healthy. He's Fi healthy again. Finally healthy. 23 carries, 140 yards, and a touchdown. 6.1 yards per carry. That is the Tank Bigsby we've been waiting for. Indeed. And, you know, on the other side with, uh, with Ole Miss, Core Pearson taking over for Dontario, the Western Kentucky transfer, taking care of business. Seven catches, 135 yards. Much respect on that front. And then, you know, what had really been, Ole Miss had been leaning on their run game a lot more the past few weeks than I think people were realizing. You know, obviously, mm -hmm. we, we talked about how Matt Corral had 30 carries two weeks ago. You know, that was pared down to 10 this week. Yep. But um, that run game is really what, what has been keeping that engine going of that offense, what's been grinding out those first downs, you know, with Parrish, Connor, Ely, and they got, they got stopped. You know, mm -hmm. they did a really good job, Auburn, of bottling them up, not allowing the, you know, the big plays, the longest rush they had on the entire day. 13 yards. Carries, longest rush was 13 yards. 
I mean, that's all you really need to know there because they're a big, they're a big play team. And mm-hmm. when you're doing that, when you're shutting down the 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 run game, and when you have, like you said, everybody's hurt mm-hmm. in that wide receiver. Literally every single one of the starting three wide receivers for Ole Miss is out. And now probably out for the rest of the year. I don't know what Drummond's prognosis is, but it can't be good. Mm-hmm. You know, so in comes Jacor Pearson. Step right up, Casey Kelly, of course, the top two guys. And then there's nobody else who's tested that is really going to be able to handle that. So um, props to the Auburn defense for really clamping down on Ole Miss. I think it, you know, the Matt Corral for Heisman hype is going to start ramping down now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's so you could kind of see it a couple of games ago, two games ago, where it was the run game that really did the damage. And now it's like, all right, let's let's start talking about Kenneth Walker, Bryce Young, and you know even Caleb Jordan Williams. Davis. Oh, stop it, stop it! You can have defensive play there. You can get you can get the bed and Eric. <laughs> That's always fun. I know Jordan Davis has doesn't have a prayer of winning, but it's still Dude, fun. He is a large man, Jordan Davis. He is oh a unit. God. What a what a wrecking ball that man is! Absolutely. I... He's the sweetest dude in the world, dude. You ever watch some of his interviews? Oh my god! No, I, I'm not a Georgia fanboy, Jared. Are you can save the Georgia, the you know the Davis talk? Oh, oh, you, you when, when what, the Twin what, Tower is back. Well, we'll, 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 we'll wait for my homer talk later on. Actually, I'll, I'll have a little bit of a homer moment on this next game, which is gonna sound weird once you see what game it is. But like, I'll, I'll have my moment. You can shut me down here in a second, Eric. But we'll talk about number twenty, Penn State. Going to number five, Ohio State, they lose, unfortunately, uh, 24. Ohio State puts up 33. The story of this game to me was Ohio State's offense in the red zone. Penn State was able to slow them down massively once they got down inside that 20-yard line and force Ohio State to kick several field goals in this game real close. Like, it wasn't like... All, like Ohio State was getting stopped out near the 30, 40 yard line, kicking like 40, 50 yard field goals. So they were kicking like 20, 30 yard field goals constantly in this game. Penn State was able to shut them down when they got in close. And the reason why I'm bringing that up, Ohio State, rightfully so, has been celebrated for its offense, looking like one of the few uh, truly elite units in the country. But I do wonder, has Penn State showed something here with Ohio State? Have they shown a weakness Kind of like Bama a couple years ago in the championship game against Clemson when Clemson blew Bama out 44-16. to Clemson won that game because they allowed Bama to go up and down the field on them. But once they got into the red zone, they clamped down and they forced turnovers. They forced Bama to take field goals when they needed to. And I'm wondering, Ohio State, this is Penn State's defense. Penn State's defense is good, don't get me wrong. But we saw what Georgia did to Florida. We'll get to that game later. We saw what Georgia did to Florida this week. Florida... Put some po- put some yards on Georgia this week, but man, once they got into that red zone, Georgia clamped down. So I'm wondering, is this something that we need to worry about with Ohio State in the future, or is this something like a one-game sample we don't need to worry about? What do you think, Eric? You know, the story is of why Penn State was able to keep this game relatively close because there's a 14 and a half point spread, and obviously they covered. I was concerned about how Clifford was if he was still injured because he was in visible pain. Mm-hmm. against uh, Illinois the previous game. Like, multiple times he was on one knee, just looked in, it just hurt. And I was like, can he sustain those hits that he's going to take invariably? And he did. And he was, you know, 
Give it, give props to Sean Clifford. He was pretty darn good. But absolutely, uh, when it comes to to Penn State's defense, I thought they did an excellent job against Trevion Henderson, plugging True. up the middle. Besides that sixty-eight yard run that Henderson had, man, he he had a hard time finding consistent running lanes. Like they were all over him. True. And I think that's the real difference. He still, I mean, obviously he had one hundred fifty-two yards. Uh, still, but you take away that 68 yarder, and it was just, it seemed like every drive you're watching it, and especially like you mentioned in the red zone, where they gave it to him three times, and he couldn't cash it in any of those times. I saw a little bit, of, I would have liked to have seen a little bit of vision, you mm-hmm. know, like there was a couple of the times movement. you saw from, from the tight cam from behind where I felt like he could have slid to the left instead of just ran into the line, and just those are the first kind of chinks in the armor that I've seen. Petrovion Henderson all year because he's just been electric. Otherwise, mm-hmm. but you saw, you know, like he's he's running hard. Don't get me wrong, obviously, but God, t- Penn State's defensive line was very good. Uh, I, I was I was impressed. I think that's really the difference was as you mentioned with the execution uh, down on the goal line is that that front seven was was freaking electric. They were really tough to penetrate, mm-hmm. and you know it speaks to. They only scored two offensive touchdowns. Ohio State, you know, mm-hmm. Stroud threw for one. Henderson ran for one. That's it. Yep. You know, it was a defensive game for them. It, that's what really made their money. So that's, um, you know, that was really an interesting development there with Ohio State and just not being as efficient as you'd like to see. Yeah, and then I also point out again. You mentioned Sean Clifford, excellent day. Xavier and I actually put the number at three fifty last week. We said if Penn State wants a shot in this game, Sean Clifford has to throw for three fifty. He threw for three sixty one. Uh, threw for a touchdown, one interception. Um, so he did what he needed to do. Uh, Penn State's running game really is what failed them on this account. One point one yards per carry on the team. That ain't gonna get it done against anybody in the country, let alone one of the top five teams in the country. So. Penn State needs to find a running back and a running back quick. Uh, I'm liking Singleton coming in next year because uh, I'm hoping he can take over that backfield real quick. I certainly think you got a case for that. And, you know, since uh, Jeremy Brown went down with the unfortunate, uh, you know, ailment last year, you've just seen them struggle. And a lot of that has to do with the line, too. Their line isn't moving people. Mm-hmm. This isn't just against the vaunted Ohio State defense. This is all season Everyone. long. I, I absolutely pounded Noah Kane's under a 45 and a half that was in my props column. Hit that by a significant margin. Mm-hmm. Let's just say he had five carries for 13. You know, Lovett had 13 for 20. Um, you just don't know what to do in that backfield. You don't know who's going to do it. Kevon Lee was okay. But like, there's nobody you can trust. Nobody. Nope. I, I, I wanted to believe in Noah Kane because I, I like Noah Kane once uh, Journey Brown went down, but then Noah Kane tore his ACL. And so he was out for a while, and he ever since he came back, just wasn't the same. Not the same. Just not the same. Absolutely. And he just don't lie, not, he don't lie, he don't lie. No none, none, of, none of these guys are stepping up. Anyway, we'll move on to our next game here. We got number nine, Iowa, going down on the road to Wisconsin. Final score, 27-7. to seven. Really, the whole thing here is we, I, Iowa's shown what we thought Iowa was. Like, we knew that they were relying heavily on turnovers, but man, we didn't think it would come crashing down this quickly for them. 
once they got into these games where they were on the wrong side of the turnover margin, they can't do anything. I mean, I was rushing. We thought Penn State's was bad. They went 1.1 yards per carry. Iowa went 0.8 yards per carry for the team in this game. I have one word next to that stat on my notes here, and that is death. That's death against anybody that you are playing against. That's not what, like that ain't gonna get it done. Uh, again, I would say nine is four on turnovers. Graham Burtz, what the hell was this game? He was scoring all over the place. Threw a touchdown to Jake Ferguson. Two rushing touchdowns. Vultured those right from Braylon Allen. Speaking of Braylon Allen. So selfish. So selfish. You got to give Braylon Allen some of those carries. Dude, Braylon Allen, I'm loving. Freshman running back for Wisconsin. Dude is going to be electric. uh, Showed once again. He had the same number of carries as Ches Malusi. Probably outgained him by a good 40 yards. Yep. Yeah, he did. Actually, 104 to 48. Again, they're splitting carries, but... It's okay because even though they're splitting carries, he's still getting twenty totes. Exactly. You know, so it's it's still it's it goes into why you always want to go shopping at the air raids and at the high octane offenses. You know, with the passing attacks, mm-hmm. this is the air raid version of the running backs. Where okay, even though he's only getting half carries, it's still twenty carries. Yep. You know, and this is I believe a third or fourth straight. 100-yard game for Braylon Allen. He's been yep. absolutely phenomenal since he got his feet wet and kind of got acclimated. Can we just and, make uh, him the next Jonathan Taylor, please? Like, can we Like, can we do that, Paul Chris? Like, Tommy, just anoint him, please? He's certainly heading in that direction, without a doubt. And just from a, from a perspective, man, Graham Mertz is an every-week props under. Only 104 yards. I think he was 139 was his over-under. Uh, he's every week, he's under. Like, they mm-hmm. just don't throw it. And if they do, it's short. So, just a little tidbit there. Absolutely. Um, so, that's our thoughts on that game. We'll go ahead and move on to so many ranked upsets this week. Uh, we got number 12, Kentucky, on the road at Mississippi State. Mississippi State wins this one 31-17. I'm not going to lie, I didn't see this one coming. Uh, I thought Kentucky would execute a little bit better, but execution of the day belongs to mr will rogers 36 for 39 passes in this game that's a 92 percent accuracy rating for 344 yards and only one touchdown mississippi state was finding their touchdowns on the ground this is just a weird game overall and then obviously when will levis is throwing three interceptions that's going to keep anybody out of any game so what are your thoughts on this game eric yeah, gosh, that that initial uh, game where Kentucky Will Levis threw for like 380 yards against ULM, and everyone's saying, "Oh, you know, the new offensive coordinator coming in from the Rams. He's going to revolutionize this offense." You know, here he comes. Here comes, you know, Cohen. Uh, no, no, no. That's that's over. And it comes down to you know, this is kind of a regression to the meme for mm-hmm. Kentucky, where they were over their heads, you know, six and zero. Oh, Came in and got exposed by Georgia in one facet of the game, which was they just got simply mauled on the ground. And then they come in here where everyone's like, all right, you know, they had they had a little time to reset. That was against Georgia. But now here's Mississippi State. Doesn't matter. Then then they get passed on for 344 yards. But mm-hmm. at the same time, when they needed to cash in touchdowns, they went to the ground. Honestly, like 35 carries for Mississippi State, that's unheard of. Yep. 35 carries. And I'm not saying they did much with it. They only got 94 yards. But like I said, 
when they when in power situations, they were able to exert their will on Kentucky. And that's really what matters when you're in that situation is can you stop them when it's third and two? Can you keep them, you know, when it's third and three, when it's third and goal? Can you keep them from exerting their will upon you? And Kentucky's front line has proven that they can't. Yeah, absolutely. And again, Kentucky only running for 3.3 yards per carry with the kind of team that they are. Once again, just that, that, that's a stat line I would expect against a Georgia defensive front, not against Mississippi State a front. That's not going to get you going anywhere. And like I said, three interceptions for Will Levis. Kentucky was dead in the water on this game. Could not execute. We'll go ahead and move on to another ranked upset this week. In the shadow of the Michigan-Michigan State game, everybody's eyes were on that. All of a sudden, there's a rumbling from down in South Florida. Is it a hurricane? Well, for Pitt, it sure was. Eric, what was your thoughts on this game? Stand back. There's a hurricane coming through. Absolutely. <laughs> there's a little old-school WWE for you. Uh, yeah, dude, you can't say enough about Tyler Van Dyke. 32 of 42, 426 yards, three touchdowns. We've already kind of waxed poetic on him, so I'll, I'll uh, you know, leave that uh, un untouched, but... Uh, we'll move on to Jalen Knighton, mm -hmm. doodle doo the rooster coming through. He was kind of, he was a four-star prospect, you know, he's right on like a top 15 guy. Don Chaney was ranked a little bit higher and he's somewhat slightly built, but man, he has got another gear when you get him into space. 70 carries, 80 yards, two touchdowns, and one that he bursted up the middle uh, for mm -hmm. 40 yards. That, you know, he takes it, goes right up the middle, you know, clean. And then you see his speed when the two safeties are trying to converge to cut him off. And he just blows right through them, even though they both have an angle on him. He's so fast. He's like, Devin A-Chain, I think, is like the gold standard for mm -hmm. just absolutely otherworldly straight line speed. But Jalen Knighton is in that next tier of guys who just, when he gets it and he gets out into open space, you watch him go and he has jets. So big props to obviously Jalen Knighton and uh, Keyshawn Smith has had a couple of pretty good games in a row. Three catches, 82 yards and a touch. They spread it around to everybody. Mm -hmm. I mean, everybody got in the action for the Miami wide receiver core. You know, you had five guys who had at least 50 yards or more. And then obviously... Uh, Kenny Pickett, you know, still a really good showing. Threw for 519 yards, three touchdowns. Had those two picks, though. Couldn't do anything against the Miami defensive front. 23 carries, 68 yards. Israel Abanaconda uh, was injured, kind of coming into this. There was a question mm -hmm. whether or not he'd play. Still, DraftKings was, was generous enough to put him out there at 58-and-a-half for the, his over-under hammered that under. He only had 28 yards and a touchdown on six carries. Uh, mm -hmm. Anytime you see a running back limping into a game and you see an over-under that's up there in the 60-yard range, I tend to like the under, just to say. But, just um, saying. Just saying. Just saying, but just simply not enough for, uh, for Pitt and, and just a great showing out of Miami, a team that's really back against the wall trying to save Manny Diaz's job, three and four coming into this game, and, and they brought it. I heard some people talking about how this like ended Kenny Pickett's Heisman campaign, and I don't understand how you could possibly throw for 519 yards and three touchdowns. Like, yeah, two interceptions, rough. But guess what? He had only thrown one interception before this game. So, like, boo freaking who? 
All right, dude threw 500 yards, three touchdowns. I don't think this is going to tank anybody's Heisman career just yet into this season. Like, obviously, there's some guys with big games yesterday, Kenneth Walker, stuff like that. And we got other guys with big games coming down the road that will probably be there. But even so, I'm not advocating that Kenny Pickett is, a, like, the Heisman favorite or anything like that. But there's still a campaign here. I don't understand the people who are so quick to be like, well, that's it for Kenny Pickett. Um, that doesn't make any sense to me. Like I said, Jalen Knighton. That him, he's really been the story for Miami. I think in addition to Tyler Van Dyke, them settling down on one running back, I think has helped them out a lot. And I really hope they keep it once Don Chaney and Cameron. I mean, Cameron Harris is out for the year, but even so, Don Chaney comes back even into next year. I hope they keep up with this with uh, Jalen Knighton, giving him plenty of carries. Well, with especially with Van Dyke, I mean, gosh, you, you see the potential of this offense to be pretty damn good next year. Absolutely. You know, it'll be an interesting, it's a nice problem to have having that three-man backfield, but uh, we'll see. We'll see how it all shakes out. For well, right as, now, a fa- as a fantasy person, get Jalen Knight right I prefer one person in that backfield. <laughs> of course, yeah. All right, we'll head over another, another ranked upset here. Number 19, SMU, goes down at Houston with a final score of 44-37. to 37. So when we did this preview, I kind of posed the question of, like, this game's got to come down to one of two matchups. Do you trust Houston's defense or SMU's offense more? Or do you trust SMU's defense versus Houston's offense? And the question, the answer to that question was, you should not have trusted SMU's defense against Houston. Houston was able to run up and down on both and SMU was able to run, was able to put up points in this game. It became an absolute offensive shootout in this game. Finally ended with Marcus Jones kicking a return. By the way, I don't what give I don't give I don't give praise to ESPN very often. But the final couple minutes of this game were expertly done from a broadcast level. Just showing every second of the coaches deciding whether to go for it on fourth down or kick the field goal showing the kicker warming up during that time, building up the idea of Marcus Jones and how many kick return touchdowns he's had and everything, and just finally all of it coming to a bang with Marvin Jones, or Marcus Marvin Jones, Marcus Jones actually pulling off the kick return touchdown. It was just so well done. Maybe wasn't maybe it wasn't entirely purpose. Obviously, they can't tell the future, but that's going to be, I think, a moment that Houston fans go back and rewatch for a long time. Absolutely. And gosh, you want to talk about a passing extravaganza? Well, you came to the right place. Sonny Dykes, Dana Holgerson. There was only a combined 127 rushing yards in the entire game. Good Lord. I mean, and, and a lot of it probably had to do with Alton McCaskill went down early. And Alton <sighs> McCaskill, as a true freshman come in, has taken over and really been an impact fantasy guy. Waiting to see the prognosis on him. That is certainly not something, uh, you know, we're encouraged by. But, you know, in the lead of the game, Dykes was saying that Luisi's Luis's Bentley was full up, ready to go, you know, banged up and what have you, but that he's back. And that Bentley should be having a full complement of snaps. Well, that didn't happen. You know, mm-hmm. uh, we saw that Trey Sigger's 13 carries, 44 yards and a touch. Wasn't great, but... He was at least the guy who got all the carries. And I think going forward, that's another guy at only 3% ownership. Trey Siggers is the one carrying the mail for this offense. That's somebody I want to be invested in. Uh, otherwise, you know, God, SMU spread the ball around. Absolutely. Spread it around. Rice, Siggers, Curly, um, 
Calcaterra, Roberson, Gray, like they all, it was just like a, just a, a potpourri blend where as opposed to Houston was the Farmer and the Dell show. Exactly. Daniel, Daniel, nine for a buck 65 and three. We talked about him, hit multiple bombs in that game and was just bit, pretty much took the entire top off that SMU defense, just ripped it. 100%. And again, like I, 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 was kind of talking about it with a couple of people last week where it was like this, I was like, a lot of people were surprised that Houston was favored over SMU. I'm like, you realize that Houston's defense was like surprisingly being awesome. very quietly good throughout most of this. Obviously, clearly SMU's passing attack is still one of the best in the country, but even still, like they were able to slow them down just enough to keep pace with them. And yeah, it, uh, just another ranked, another ranked upset for the crazy chaotic year we've had so far. And Clayton Toon, we should give it to him. 412 oh, yards yeah. four touchdowns. Bang. Yeah, I would say he outplayed Tanner Mordecai in this game. He sure did. Which I I, I definitely would not have expected uh, before the weekend. So congratulations, Mr. Uh, Toon there. So we'll hit another group of five ranked matchup. Uh, Fresno State, 30. Number 21, San Diego State, 20. Uh, I don't really have a ton to say on this one. I, it was the game I kept really pushing last week. I pushed it on the uh, Ankle Biters podcast with Farnsworth and uh, I am uh, Farn. I am so tired, y'all. I, I apologize, y'all. Well, uh, we, we're putting out almost three hours of content. You get tired, you're gonna forget things, Jared. It's okay. You right, you right. But even so, uh, Ankle Biters podcast. I put them. I put this as my. Uh, interesting game of the week i put it up on our preview last week because i'm like y'all i think this is gonna be a better game than people are thinking and fresno state really took to san diego state to town everybody's talking about their defense but fresno state was able to put it up but really it wasn't through the air jordan bims i am shocked at myself that i didn't even put him on our waiver wire list for this week but mainly it's because i'm not sure when we can expect ronnie rivers to come back but jordan mims after ronnie rivers leaves either this year or next year this dude in this game had 29 carries for 186 yards and two touchdowns. Dude is the future of the running back position for Fresno State. Even after Heiner and Ronnie Rivers are gone, he's going to be great for you in the upcoming years. Uh, also throw out there, Josh Kelly, five receptions, 106 yard, or 107 yards. Didn't get a touchdown, but even still, he had a great day. And yeah. Absolutely. When it comes to this game, I actually got to watch some of it. Uh, and San Diego State, Obviously, I'm a San Diego guy, and I try to. I, I watch a little bit more of San Diego State than I think most people do, just because of my love for the Aztecs and my, my admiration from for the uh, the place I've lived for 16 years. So, their offense has been not very good for the past few weeks. I mean, they outlasted Air Force against San Jose State. They got real lucky to win that game in multiple overtimes. Mm -hmm. And they only won because they had Lucas Johnson come in for uh, for Brumfield, who just God Brookfield, excuse me. There's a Brumfield at UNLV. Brumfield's UNLV. Yeah, there's the Brookfield Jordan Brook. You know, you get it. Yeah. Um, but uh, Johnson came in and looked pretty good. But this is not a very good offense, you know. And mm -hmm. they they really got exposed by Fresno State. It's you've seen against every good team. You see him play well against UCLA. You see him play well against Oregon. They're not a they're no joke, Fresno State. And they managed to go out there and Kalen DeBoer is obviously a great coach as well. You know, he's succeeded everywhere he went. He, he lights he's an offensive guru 
who I, I respect a great deal. He was the guy behind Indiana being so effective last year. When he mm-hmm. left, you see what Indiana's become, yep. you know, in terms of scheming. So um, they were clearly outclassed in this game. And the 30 to 20 score, I think, doesn't even do it justice for, for just how it looked lost that San Diego State looked. And, yeah, and they scored they the late touchdown, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they had a late touchdown. And they just – they seemed like they were searching, you know, mm-hmm. just trying to come up with something, trying everything, throwing the kitchen sink, or just trying to, to keep pace with Fresno. And they simply couldn't, you know. So uh, that was really the story of the game for me is just San Diego State's offense getting exploded for being one-dimensional. And Greg Bell, who was dinged up, comes in 15 carries, 63 yards, 63 yards and a touch, but he just wasn't explosive. You know, they, mm-hmm. it, it was one 22 yard rush, but other than that, they were just grinding out three, four yards per carry. And they just simply weren't able to, to really develop a rhythm. Yeah. And with that being said, Fresno state, I believe now leads their division in the mountain West. They're probably on the inside track, defeating both San Diego and Nevada in that division. So they're probably on the inside track go to that Mountain West Championship, so congratulations to them. Uh, for any of you Fresno State fans out there, I don't even know if we have any Fresno State fans listening to this podcast, but we'll see. It's gotta be somebody. Alright, next one, another another ranked upset. Uh, this is the one I had the hardest time wrapping my head around, I'll be real. Iowa State goes down 31 to West Virginia 38. Um... Yeah, this one took several viewings for me, uh, looking through the plays and everything like that, just to figure out what happened in this game. Because Iowa State did not have a bad game on offense, and usually that's where things kind of fall apart from them. But good lord, their defense fell apart in this game. And it didn't help that West Virginia's wide receivers were making play after play after play in this game. Like Most of the touchdown receptions in this game for West Virginia. West Virginia, just like go watch the highlights. It's one of those things where, like, even the best defense in the country would be looking at that and be like, How do you defend that? West Virginia's passing game, which was weird because they're not a passing team, which is executing on several levels here. The other thing I'll point out here I talked about earlier with Michigan, Michigan State. Don't let a game be decided by the referees and everything. I'm going to sound like a huge hypocrite here because there was a play where Iowa State could have taken this game 38-38. Brees Hall, quote-unquote, fumbles on the one-yard line. But here's the problem. On the field, you had a ref calling touchdown. You had a ref calling touchback. You had a ref calling fumble. You had a ref calling short, down but short. What are the players supposed to believe in that case? Like what? What? Like and how? And how did all of that? So like they put the play into review, and they they say the call stands. And apparently the call stands meant he fumbled in and was recovered by the off, recovered by the defense. And I'm like, how did we decide out of four different referees calling four different things that that was going to be the call that had to be indisputably overturned? Like that seemed like that was the wrong call. And like just say he's down at the one, make it inconsequential. That, to me, is just gross incompetence on, refer- on officials at that point. And again, I, I sound like a huge hypocrite for basically what I said with Michigan, Michigan State earlier. But even still, like, that should never happen in a game where you have four different officials calling four different plays. Or calling four different results of a play on the same play. Somebody messed up. Yeah, they have to get together on that. And I actually can speak for a little bit of experience on this because... 
I was a high school football referee for five years. Ooh. So I, I've done, you know, some uh, several games. I've made mistakes. Trust me. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, 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 uh, me and my buddies ran a crew for Pop Warner that I ended up, uh, I ended up making a pretty big mistake in a big Class A uh, Pop Warner game that the winner goes to the state tournament and the loser is eliminated. So it was probably like a good, you know, five, five hundred to seven hundred people in the stands. Mm-hmm. Triple option, running the veer. Kid gets stacked up at the line, and I see it and. I, I want to keep this kid from getting spiked on the ground. So I blow the whistle, come in. And as I blow the whistle and start coming in, I see the pitch man running right down the sidelines unabated for a touchdown. Oh. And I had to uh, bring the, we had to bring it back. It's, it's a spot, you know, it's an inadvertent whistle. And mm-hmm. um, I, we had to bring it back and explain to this, sideline that I happened to be on that it was a no play and that uh that they they had to come back because it was an inadvertent whistle and I perceived they had to get the police we had a police escort out of the oh they're all over me got a police escort out of the game and everything it was uh it was quite a raucous affair so I've been in that position of making a bad call let me tell you that but at the same time, I have never seen four different guys make four different calls mm-hmm. on the same play because you, you're, you're taught like you, you get together and mm-hmm. you talk about it. And if it's a, you wait to signal touchdown, you you don't have to rush to do anything. Mm-hmm. Okay, if you think it's a, a a fumble, you know you toss the beanbag down. If you think it's a touchdown, you wait for confirmation. Especially where I was a side judge, you have to go and look. What is the other guy have? Does he have it? Is there a better line? Mm-hmm. You know, and then you look to the referee, obviously, ultimately. So that's something I've never seen. And that is brutal when it comes, especially on the one-yard line. One-yard line. In the game. Oh, my gosh. Again, I just don't understand how, like, out of all those four different calls, you decide that the fumble is, like, the call that can stand. Like, why do you have to make it, like, the most consequential call out of all of them? Like, that was a game-changer. Like, and that's the one you have to prove it, it didn't happen? I don't know. I felt like that was weird. Uh, on a complete side note on this game, uh, Courtney Lyle is an awful commentator. I just want to throw that out there. Um, good I didn't God. listen to it. I don't know. I, well, I wasn't on that. Um, dude, I've never... Like, but I'll, I'll tell you, here's a commentator. Whenever whenever uh, Iowa State... He's a play-by-play? He's, he must be a play-by-play. He's not the color. Yeah. No, no. This is a, it's, it's a she, by the way. Um, oh, I'm sorry. God damn. And so she... Every time Iowa State does something good, oh, oh no, oh no, oh no. Every time West Virginia does something good, yes, yes, touchdown West Virginia. And I'm like, what is this? What is this? <laughs> I didn't hear that. I, I'm going to have to go and do my, my the game review. I, dude, you know, listen, to, listen to it again, dude. Here. It's like every time Iowa State does something good, it's like, oh no, oh, what happened here? It's like... Like okay, if you're gonna be energetic, be energetic for both teams. Or if you're gonna be like dismi- or if you're gonna be like depressed on for every time something happens, like to be depressed for both teams. I don't know. Yeah, this isn't baseball where you have a home announcer, you have the away announcer. Like this is everybody gets the same announcer. Everybody. Or or if you're the MLB, you just root or you just throw in guys that are rude against the Braves. Uh, <laughs> anyway, 
we'll move on from this game. Unless you had anything else you want to tag in on this one, Eric. Alright. So we'll hit up. We got three more games here. None of these are ranked upsets or anything like that. These are just games I found interesting, wanted to talk about. Uh, and, well, if you see what's on the screen here, you know why I want to talk about this game. Georgia, number one Georgia, goes down to Jacksonville, crushes Florida 34-7. to And because you are not the homer here, Eric, I'm going to let you start on this game, let you point out what you think was important out of this game. What was important was Stetson Bennett was 205 and a half. Uh, over under for passing yardage and it was a pleasure to get to bet against Stetson Bennett once again I haven't gotten to do it this season I had three straight games where I bet against him last year I, I made a song about him I, I mean he made me so much my I really really appreciate it he didn't it was a running base affair he only threw 19 passes, only completed 10. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, was his typical game manager self, unspectacular, made a couple of good throws when he needed to. Luckily, Brock Bowers is on the field because the guy is an absolute unit. Animal. That one catch he had, the 38 yard. Dude, I, I would never want to be put in the position where it, I am between Brock Bowers and the goal line. Mm -hmm. Because it's going to end up very, very badly for me if I are ever in that spot. God, he is such a... I mean, is there another tight end you would rather have in college football right now to project to the pro level from an NFL draft? And he's only a freshman, you know what I mean? Good God, yeah. It's I, like, I forget oh, that. As a Georgia fan, I forget oh, that. And Yeah, absolutely. Oh, he's such a monster, yes. But, uh, I mean, you got to give it to Georgia's defense again. AR-15 had looked like a superstar coming in, and, man, they put the clamps on him. Two interceptions before he went down. You know, they he did an RPO. Milan got smothered. He's out. In comes Emory Jones, which, to speak about uh, another, it, it all comes down to player props, I guess, for me at that level. But for some reason, DraftKings put them out, his over-under out, at 198.5 passing yards with – Anthony Richardson likely to start. I was just like, <laughs> I want to bet this. Bet, 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 bet. Good oh my Lord. God, what a dream that was. It was one and a half passing touchdowns. It was under 98 yards. And like, as soon as that line came out, my, my head almost exploded. It was like, how much can I get down? How fast? But they finally pull it down. Oh, and they pulled it down. But um, so that was certainly, you know, a, a storyline there. Uh, where it was just free money was being handed out. For a while, like DraftKings, and they pulled it out with, with about an hour into it. But uh, sorry for those who couldn't get it down. But I mean, gosh, Georgia's defense. What do you? What more can you say? Just monsters. And the, the one touchdown they got was just the essence of garbage time. You know, to to Emory mm -hmm. Jones. Like, congratulations, you finally finally got in there. But like, they were almost like in, in bend but don't break mode. They moved it. Emory Jones was able to move it a little bit in the second. I half. mean, I I, I went like, and visited once, once it got down the red zone. None. None. And I, I mentioned that before when we were talking about Ohio State again. That that to me was what was impressive to me because I was worried a little bit. I saw Florida moving the ball on the Georgia defense. I'm like, oh no, is this the, is this the game where things start kind of kind of uh, start falling apart for our defense a little bit? Our offenses are showing up. Is this just our bad game? That that to me is the craziest part about this entire game. Georgia offensively played a C plus game. And they, they, Georgia still won this game 
That is incredible to me. Again, you have to thank their defense for that. Three straight turnovers there to end the half. This game went from 3 nothing to 24 nothing in a minute and a half. That is insane. That is absolutely yep. insane. And again, we got bad sets and bets. Like we we've been kind of we we've been kind of spoiled a little bit with good sets and Bennett recently. Hasn't made a ton of like WTF throws or anything like that. He's like looked improved from last year and everything. He looked good in the Auburn game. Looked good in the Kentucky game. Um, but this is the one. This is the game where we started watching. Any questions about whether Stetson should be starting or JT should be starting when both are 100% healthy? Got answered in this game. JT should be the guy going forward because he doesn't make some of those awful throws that Stetson made in that game. But Georgia still won this game by 27 points, and that's insane to me. And Florida's got a good pair of bookends, too, that oh, no. ended up doing, doing a pretty decent job in terms of their defensive ends of getting a little bit of heat, at least moving them off his spot well, a little bit. People kept talking about, like, oh, Georgia hasn't faced a real offense. Well, coming into this game, Florida was top 10 in the country in total offense, like yards per game and stuff like that. Georgia still was able to shut them down pretty good, at least kept them out of the end zone. Yeah, I, I wonder how this projects to down the line when they eventually get projecting Alabama uh, in the SEC championship, because I wonder how an efficient offense who can execute in the red zone does because we did see Jones be able to move the ball between the twenties. It's just, there was no punching it in and they mm -hmm. really stiffened up between uh, in the red zone. I'm curious to see how that goes down. Well, we've I mean, already what, seen what a great game. That's going to be, I mean, we've already seen Bama kind of struggle in the red zone when it comes to them calling three straight passing plays. Cause you know, Bill O'Brien's a genius like that. Uh, when you got <laughs> Brian Robinson there, at the one yard line, God, what, what are they doing? Um, but even still, like you said, like um, Florida tried to run it on Georgia once they got down between the 20s, and Georgia clamped down on them there. So even if Bama tries to switch over to the running game in the red zone, Georgia might be prepared for that. So we'll see. Again, very interesting game coming up. Georgia's going to Atlanta now. Uh, thanks to Kentucky losing, Georgia's clinched the East. So uh, they're, on, they're on a collision course with whoever comes out of the West. It may not even be Bama. We'll see. Why not? Uh, so we'll hit up. we got two more games here. Uh, we got two, Cincinnati 31, Tulane 12. Really, the reason why I, would, I even want to talk about this game is because the storyline behind Cincinnati at this point is playoffs. Are they, will, are they worthy of going to the playoffs? And to me, I've been the biggest cheerleader of Cincinnati so far this season. I have maintained that they go 12-0. They absolutely deserve to be in discussion to go to the playoff. It is without a doubt to me a reasonable proposition but two weeks in a row they're facing one rank one win teams and just unimpressive performances in both of those games navy came down to one touchdown and they cincinnati struggled with tulane for an entire half here now they shut tulane down in the second half very well so congratulations to cincinnati there but even still like i i just have to wonder like if Cincinnati keeps putting up games like this, is it going to be enough for the playoff committee to start questioning whether they should even be long in the discussion? What do you think, Eric? Well, with, for me, it's a lot of that hangs on Desmond Ritter's performance. And like you said, he has been quite uninspiring the past few weeks. I mean, yeah, you got three touchdowns in this game. Congratulations against Tulane. But, um, you know, I... Uh, I have questions about his NFL draft stock too. Like you see, mm -hmm. the the quarterback class is so fragmented. Everybody has a different opinion. Everyone's got a different number one guy. And I've seen Desmond Ritter in first round mocks. I don't understand it. Places and man, 
I don't know about Desmond Ritter being a first-round caliber quarterback here. Uh, even in a admittedly soft class, I, I have real questions about that. I mean, real questions about his ability to perform against upper echelon teams because he just hasn't been smothering himself with glory the past few weeks and kind of more riding the Jerome Ford show. But, you know, he's he's mobile. Um, you know, he, he's obviously athletic. He's got a good arm. But when we're talking about first-round caliber, I, I think that's very much in question at this point. And, you know, T Tulane was starting backup quarterback. Yeah. They, could, they couldn't do anything through the air against him. I mean, it was death. They obviously have a superstar corner, mm -hmm. uh, uh, Cincinnati. I mean, they're, they're Gardner. They're, yeah, Gardner is awesome. So yeah. I mean, he's one of my favorite defensive players me. in the country. Absolutely, he's real. Like he's the real deal. I, I believe in him. But um, yeah, th this is certainly a, a troubling game. The game against Navy. Um, obviously, they have the Notre Dame game to, to hang their hat on to say this is our case. And if they go undefeated, I, I think it would be a nice nod to uh, to give it to him. I think it's going to be tough to keep him out where, you know, other than Georgia, Alabama, Oklahoma right now. Ohio State probably. Ohio State. Who do you keep out of that? Probably. I mean, if Georgia goes and beats Bama, they're out. That's two losses. Yeah, ba Bama's out. You got to go out. But then if Bama beats Georgia – who do you kick out of that? You know, can you really, if, if Ohio state finishes the way against, you know, they've still got to play Michigan and Michigan state. If they mm -hmm. finish strong, can you honestly keep them out? And mm -hmm. if they go and take the big 10, you can have a hard time with that. Absolutely. So they need to, Cincinnati needs to put up some, some more impressive victories on the way out in order to really stamp their ticket. I think, a lot is going to come down to Tuesday when they release those first playoff rankings. If Cincinnati's in like that top three, I don't, I don't even say top four, but if they're in that top three, they went out, they're in. I don't see teams jumping them at that position. I don't really think there's precedent for a team that high to continue to go undefeated and get jumped by teams that are one loss behind them. But you see Cincinnati in that four, five, six position, that's when things could get very rough for Cincinnati very quickly. And all of a sudden you see that the committee just doesn't value their schedule at all by the end of that. Wow. And I'm looking at Cincinnati's schedule down the stretch too. This uh, actually next week or yeah, it's this week. Damn it. So like, Oh, 11, six. That's next week. No, 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 no. It's this week. This week. Uh, Tulsa at home at USF SMU at home. That's the game because then they got at ECU. They got to go out and put it on SMU. Is they what do. they have to do. That's that's their game because they're I mean, they're lucky SMU is still ranked in the AP poll this week. Yeah, it's still at twenty three. Amazingly, but hey, good. You know, yeah, good, they need, good. They need they need SMU to go out and handle business. They need Notre Dame to keep winning. They need Notre Dame. They looked real good the past couple of weeks. You know, they handled UNC. Props, but. Um, you know, when it comes to SMU, obviously they don't like it. It doesn't help them losing to, to uh, Houston. But then keep in mind, SMU's got Memphis this week at Memphis. Mm -hmm. Then they got UCF next week. Then they got at Cincinnati. So, I mean, it's in their best interest for SMU to go out and, and put it on those two teams to help them keep them top 25 ranked and then have Cincinnati put in a convincing win. That's the game. Absolutely. 100%.
And again, I, I think it's going to be very interesting to see what happens once those playoff committee rankings come out on Tuesday. Uh, one, one team we definitely know will not be there is the Clemson Tigers in the top 25 for the playoff poll for the first time probably. Uh, God, I don't even know how long it's been since Clemson wasn't in a playoff poll. But even still, we'll talk about their game. Florida State 20, Clemson 30. Um, I took Florida State to win in this game because I didn't expect Clemson to be able to put up 23 points 23 points of offense. I'm not going to lie. Um, but I think that's the Will Shipley effect. I think Clemson having a legitimate running back option, something to keep the chains moving, is going to help them a ton. Even DJ Uyangalele is looking a little bit better in this game. I believe he threw for about 189 yards and a touchdown. Uh, he was looking a little bit better. Maybe just having that other option for the defense to worry about uh, helped him out a ton there. So what are your thoughts on this game, Eric? Yeah, bowling shoe ugly. Yes. Yeah. Clemson's, Clemson's offense is just, it's tough to watch at this point, you know, <laughs> but their run game is still solid. You know, they still have the 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 uh, the big boys up front who are mm-hmm. clearing the way for Shipley, Phil Maffa as well. Another highly touted freshman. Both of them are two freshman running backs. I think you'll be seeing them going forward for the, the foreseeable future of the next couple of years. Um, but, I mean, Florida State hung in there. Like we said, this is a three-point game up until the very last play, which it was, you know, they they muffed a, a hook and ladder. But it, 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 the game was already done at that mm-hmm. point. This is a very, very close game against Florida State. And, you know, frankly, defense, a lot of defense, a lot of running the ball for Clemson and just uh, not particularly aesthetically pleasing. Doesn't really prove much about Clemson other than DJ Uyangalele is uh, rightfully being challenged by Tyson Fomacon. Uh, at least he was in practice all during the week, according to Dave. I so, I mean, hell no. Who knows if that's coach speak, if they just wanted to, you know, throw a little wrinkle in, mm-hmm. give Norvell something to think about. But, man, this is uh, this is not a game that I recommend anybody going back and watching in its entirety. No, God, they, no. Uh, you know, get the highlights out of the way, but it's basically just going to be Will Shipley going wild. Yeah, no, I think it... I know this point's probably beaten to death so far this season and everything. It still boggles my mind what happened to DJ. This is a man that we are... I, I, Xavier and I were prepared to take him in the first round of the Kings Classic draft. Uh, he was taking one pick before Absolutely. us. Uh, and like this Absolutely. is a guy that everybody was expecting to just dominate this year. We saw what he did against Notre Dame last year. We saw what he did against Boston College last year. What happened? What is happened? Really the skill positions? Like, is it... Do they miss... Rogers and uh and Powell that much. I think I think it might be again I've, I've mentioned this on my show before and oh, everything NFL draft choices well I, I mentioned this on my show before is like when you line up all the Clemson receivers in front of each other they basically all fit in the same hole because they're all like six foot two all about 190 200 pounds they all have the same skill set they're all decent route runners but not very good at separation they're possession receivers that try to go up and get it. But when you got a guy like DJ Uyagalele, who's now scared to throw those balls into coverage, it's not a good mat- it's not a good um, recipe for success there. And then, you know, like Georgia fans, we like to joke about like us breaking teams that we uh we play against, but like I really wonder how much of just Georgia's defensive line sacking him seven times in the first game of the season really threw uh dj's confidence off the rest of the year like i'm I'm just legitimately wondering about that 
something's wrong. I mean, there's, there's no doubt about that at this point. And, you know, at, at this point, you have to wonder if there'll be a restructuring or just for next year, what they will do at the mm -hmm. quarterback position. Do they keep trotting them out next year? You know, because they have a very talented true freshman coming in who's, I believe he's on. Played Klubnik, right? Yeah, Jake Klubnik. They have him coming in. I mean, how good does Klubnik look? He, I, I've seen some of him uh, with the Elite 11 footage. And, I mean, the kid, kid looks good, but you don't know until he gets out there and you see him in the spring game. But I am going to be very interested in watching that Clemson spring game and see what happens. Hopefully, Klubnik comes in early. And he can get a chance to really compete. I know Davo's probably going to push him for that. He's going to want to have that December early sign. Because why wouldn't you? Exactly. You know, you need a contingency plan. Well, and then again, early enrollees are becoming more and more popular among uh, high school football uh, players who want to get their chance to get on campus early, maybe earn a starting spot earlier than people were anticipating them to be. So that is our show good god two hours and 45 minutes eric you are a blast to have a chat with man i appreciate you coming on at relatively last minute to do this i've had a blast with you tonight um why don't you let everybody know before we sign off here what 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 you're working on where they can find you what like what podcasts are you on what articles are you writing what, what are you doing eric well, I'm glad we could give the fans uh, their money worth here tonight of almost three hours of content yeah. at the end of the day. So uh, I hope they use that, uh, the waiver wire recommendations, and they help out, obviously. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, I'm obviously at NBC Sports Edge. Uh, tomorrow morning, I'll be doing Bet the Edge at 11 a.m., going over uh, four of the top games there. I'll be doing that with Von Dalzell and Corey Parson. Uh, I'll also be, obviously, tomorrow evening, we'll be filming... Uh, myself, Scott Bogman, John Lobb, we'll be doing our college fantasy football podcast. So I'll have, you know, two nights of this going down. Mm -hmm. uh, from there, also do my waiver wire on Friday, do a waiver, excuse me, do my waiver wire article. I'll probably be out Tuesday night, maybe at this point, Wednesday morning. Uh, DFS, props, Saturday morning show with Mike Bainbridge where we go over all the late uh, breaking news as well as DFS plays and things of that nature. So, my gosh, all you got to do is follow my Twitter account at CFFroton and you'll see a whole host of media and columns going up. Uh, week 10 heading into of the college football season and, you know, we're heading towards the finish line. So good luck to everybody in their leagues. Thank you very much for having me, Jared. It was, uh, you know, obviously it was great getting to meet you and connecting with you and Xavier at the college, the college fantasy football, the fantasy football expo in August. One day, one day we'll get our own, our own convention. <laughs> one day, yeah, seriously, the college fantasy football expo. We have like ten people there, but um, it was, uh, you know, it's a pleasure to finally be on here, and I'm glad to be able to help the boys out. Yeah, help you yeah. out when you need it. You helped me out at the fantasy football expo, corralling people into that, uh, that. Uh, symposium there and Absolutely. I always wanted to pay that forward and I appreciate it Jared thanks brother Eric you've been awesome man and for everybody else listening as always make sure you're subscribed to our YouTube channel make sure you're commenting down below anything you want to talk about with us we'll talk back to you guys back down there make sure you hit those like buttons all that good jazz you guys know how YouTube works uh, on Spotify on 
on the podcast side of things. Make sure you're following us on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, leaving those five-star reviews. We love those. Help us out so much. And then as well, you guys know, best place to find us is on Twitter. Whether you DM us, add us one of your questions in your tweets, we are always there to help you guys with your fantasy or college fantasy football questions. Or if you just want to chat, sometimes we just like chatting. It's all good. Um, and once again, y'all, it's been awesome. If you've made it this long, y'all are true fans. <laughs> Love y'all. <laughs> it has been fantastic. And y'all have a blessed evening.